Welcome to This Board Game Life. This is the show about board games, the people who play them, and anything else that we want to talk about. This is episode number 11, All Things Stefan Feld. On this show, we talk about Feld games, some Dallas game stores, and what we've been playing recently. My name is Rob, and with me, I have my co-host, Mr. Jeff. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, man. Looking forward to another Awesome, awesome show, especially after that last long one. As am I, as am I. <laughs> Hopefully not quite as long, but... We'll try. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see where uh, where the recording takes us. We have uh, 10 Feld games alone just to get through, so... Oh, boy. We'll, we'll, we'll see uh, if we can make this a 10-hour long podcast. No! That. <laughs> uh, that would be just fantastic to edit, I'm sure. Yes. So I've been doing some traveling again for work, and I'm actually in Dallas at the moment. I hit up several uh, Dallas game stores uh, as soon as I got in the rental car. Two were fairly close to the airport, so I'm like, hey, why not? I'll just hit those real quick. And um, let's just say that that's all I really need to say about those stores. Oh. Not much. So the third store... And this is the primary one I was really interested in. Uh, was a store called Madness. That's uh, it. Madness, That's all. <laughs> Madness Games. Oh, okay. Uh, in in Plano, and it's a really interesting store. It, it's quite unlike any game store that I've ever really been in. Wait, now you said that last time. <laughs> well, you keep going to better and better stores it, on your it, travels. It it definitely is. This store in many, many ways, I think, sets the bar. Okay. So the store is in a little strip mall uh, off of, uh, it looks like, it looked like it was a Walmart grocery store. Hmm. I, I don't know if such thing exists or if it's just an older Walmart or whatnot. Because I know Walmarts are from the South, so who knows what kind of stuff they got down here other than Sam's Club and Walmart. So it looks like a pretty unassuming storefront. Just got a little sign up in front. Uh, other than that, you know, if you were driving by, I think anybody would really miss it. Wouldn't probably pay any attention. So going inside, the store is well lit. It's clean. It's immaculate. It's organized. It's awesome. It's not like a basement. There's no funky smell. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as far as I could tell, there's no smelly people in there. Uh, basically, one third of the area has uh, these large tables uh, on the towards the right when you walk in. So it looks like there's a lot of room for playing. Although I was in there probably mid-afternoon, there wasn't much going on over there. Uh, all the tables were empty. There's a huge comic book section with all sorts of books uh, in, in addition to just standard comic books. That's on the left side of the store when you first walk in. And in the back, that's where the money spot is, at least for me. It's a huge, diverse game section. Okay, so did you walk out with something this time? Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. now it, it was a little tough to find some stuff because I placed a, a fairly 
large order. So I had a lot of my, uh, a lot of the games that I was really lusting after, you know, they're on the way. And plus I don't have a lot of room in my suitcase this time, but I did manage to pick up a couple of things and I'll get to those in a, in a little bit here. The one thing about the store is as far as games go, it is probably one of the best selections I have seen in any game store, even ones back home. And there's there's a couple of have decent selections back home. And another thing that was interesting was that all of the games, at least the majority of the games, are all in those IKEA ex- Expedit, Expedit, or however you say that, game shelves. Did you ever see, you know what I'm talking about, John? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I like that for a store myself. Yeah, it's a, it, you know they had. I don't know. I should have counted them. There's probably at least a dozen, if not more, of these things. They had uh, two by fours, four by fours, five by fives. Sure. So the games were all in there. They had multiple copies of everything. A lot of stores only have like one copy of a game. So they had multiple copies of you know all the latest releases and even some older titles. Uh, they had, you know, all your Euros, Ameritrash, card yeah, games. I guess, I guess that's more important than how they display them. I mean, I don't, I don't think those shelves are particularly good for displaying. But yeah. if you if you get them all stuck in their book style, yeah. And and the titles that they had, they had new stuff and old stuff and some non-typical games uh, for at least any store that I've been to so far. Like they had a Familia Freedom and Freeze game, the little mm-hmm. card game. And they had that in there, and there was a couple other titles that I've I've only really seen them online. I really haven't seen them in any stores, so that was really surprising. And the organization was so well laid out. How about, how about uh, imports? Any anything like that? Because that's what would surprise me. I just that that MIL ten forty nine game that I talked nah, about last show. That. I mean, yeah, they didn't have that one. Yeah, I mean, like even you know Kai that, Kai Specker no. that we're going to talk about this show. Yeah, they didn't have that either. Uh, <laughs> Although I don't think that, I don't think either of those are really widely released. Uh, how about even like Strasbourg, you know, which we'll also talk about. But I mean, there was a bunch of Feld games over there. I don't remember specifically seeing Cause, that. Because I'll say for <laughs> for as small as a selection as our local, or I should say my local store, since it's it's not as close to you. But for as small as a collection as as they have of board games, I mean, they do have import games. They stock a Haba game shelves. I mean, there are some impressive things uh, for again a relatively small store oh yeah and that particular store they probably have more haba games than any other chicago store or all the chicago stores i would say and i have done limited travel in comparison to you but i've never seen a game store with the haba game selection that they have yeah it's It's rare to even see the haba games yeah it's a little dated as last i saw it they need, need to get some of the newer ones in now but yeah. But hey, at least they have a selection. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and I've bought a number of them, I guess, just on principle when I have visited there. So yeah. So the organization of the store was fantastic. The games were grouped uh, fairly well. And I'd probably say that this is probably the best game store in terms of selection and just layout and everything that I've been to, even... I think it eclipses the Chicago ones. It's huge. It's huge. It's got a lot of games. And uh, we'll say. So I, I did walk out with a couple of things. I picked up a copy, totally impulse buy. It's something I've been wanting for a while, Uh-oh. but never pulled the trigger on. It was two de Mayo. Okay, cool. That, and then 
a trick-taking game called Dwarf King. Yep, yep. The, what is it, Bruno Fiduti, I think, or Bruno Cathala? No, Fiduti. Fiduti. Uh, yeah, I always <laughs> get those two mixed up. Uh, there was a Death Angel Mission Pack 1 copy that they had. I was really surprised to see those. Yeah, not so much my my thing, but uh, okay. Yeah, so I grabbed that. It was an easy five bucks. Cause I prefer Space I, Hulk. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I want expenses for that. Yeah. And then I promised my son I would bring him something, uh, like oh, a really cool, cool present. So All right. I grabbed Rory's Story Cubes. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, and you'll have to let me know how that works out. And and there, they had two versions. They had the original, and then they had actions. So the actions one is the one that I grabbed. Okay. So Even I figured better. it. I figured it would be a lot easier to, you know, play with actions with a four-year-old than the other one. Okay. Than the original one. So. Cool. Now I just have to kind of work out how I'm going to get all these back because uh, back home because my suitcase is really yeah, cramped. The, the little ones go in the big ones and <laughs> throw out the inserts and. That's that whole thing. Pack your socks in the box if there's room. You know what? T-shirts and socks, all dirty clothes, they go in the garbage. <laughs> there you go. The games, you, you can buy you can buy new ones back home. Yeah. So cool. that's pretty much about it for, for Madness Games. If you're in the Dallas area, definitely check it out. Uh, it's actually just, no, it's not in Dallas. It's maybe like half an hour north of Dallas in Plano fantastic store and i wish it was closer to chicago got two sort of quick newsworthy uh, things that just stuff i came across uh, in fact just today there's been some recent plaidhead games talk now if there's a summoner wars preview for the iOS game, which is a uh, big Summoner War fan, so I'm as and my wife does play the game with me, so even better. Yeah. Um, so with that coming out soon, the the teaser really didn't show much, but yeah, you know you can tell that it's going to have that good quality, that play deck quality. So uh, I think there's going to be like a single price where you can buy all of the armies. I'll I'll just do that right out of the gate since I know I want them all. And I'm still still buying all the physical ones, so I guess that's a good sign for them. I just, in fact, I just got the latest four in my last order. I haven't haven't tried them yet, though. Is that those bigger boxes? Because they had the little. Yeah, no, those boxes. are the bigger ones. Are just reprints of the original two starter sets. Oh, okay. Then there is like four faction packs: uh, the mercenaries, the filth. and then the two more reinforcement packs for the other ones, which give you which you know, perfect for people that don't want to do a lot of deck building up front. It just gives you a couple of choices, and you swap out a couple of cards before you play. So you really don't even have to have played maybe but one or two times to, to make sense of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's nice, because it gives you that option and that experience, but without it being a whole ordeal in and of itself to do this custom portion so Mm -hmm. so i like the way that the reinforcement packs work and i've really not had a game that worked this way before and and where with all the different factions they still felt unique and such so big summoner wars fan and anyway really why i mentioned all that was just to lead up to the fact they finally announced uh, a new game so you know really they've just had summoner wars and dungeon run which i wasn't as big a fan of and now they've announced a game called mice and mystics which has a 
a similar, if not better, art look. Like I actually think the art looks maybe better on this, but basically this is another sort of quicker game. 60 to 90 minutes is what they listed at, one to four players. Uh, of course, it, it says sometimes one to six. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but really all, what they say is that you're kind of another dungeon-y type of thing where your people turned into rats and you know there's castles and you're you're fighting rats and spiders and cockroaches and whatnot so so it's kind of interesting check it out the there's minis in it too so they look real cool uh i think hopefully this will be something i'd really like to like it more than i did dungeon run so that i can kind of say i'm a plaid hat fan uh, and not just a summoner wars fan so it it definitely uh looks good enough at this point that I'd pre-order it. Uh, it. Officially, it's called a cooperative storytelling adventure for one to four mice. So, you know, I don't know, uh, but I could probably use more cooperative games. So, I'll yeah, buy the, it on faith. The artwork from that really reminds me of that '80s Don Bluth film called Secret of Nim. Do you remember that? Yeah, one? yeah, oh, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, any anyone sort of our age will. It's a classic for sure. Oh, yeah, because as soon as I saw the little drawings of the mice, I'm like, yeah, Secret of Nim, right? Yeah, there. yeah, it has that kind of uh, art style, but then the detail is just it's better. I think it's up to modern it is. standards oh, yeah. there. I'm quite fond of it, and I think my wife will like the, the theming of it, too. So you know, it's kind of a nice universal appeal there. So, oh, absolutely. So put me down for a copy. I'll uh, definitely like it, I think. Okay. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Then outside of that, the uh, other similar sort of announcement news that I that I saw from FFG today was their announcement of Netrunner reprint. Well, I, you know, I guess we can't really call it a reprint. It's more like a reimagination. It's now it's going to be a living card game. But this is a classic game from way back when, 1996, and it's uh, interesting because they've they've basically they're setting it in the Android universe. And now this has kind of solidified the fact that we have uh, definitely a new setting from FFG here, right? So we had Android, then we had Infiltration, which is the Donald X game. Uh, I've got that on pre-order, so, you know, again, last episode mentioned I wasn't a big fan of Nefarious, but I've liked his other two games. This one, the rules were posted recently. It looks pretty interesting, so that's Infiltration I'm talking about. So that one, and now there's Netrunner as a living card game set in that universe. Of course, they've done the novels and such, so it seems like that setting and, and, and IP is here to stay, to kind of go along with uh, you know the Rune, uh, Runebound and uh, Twilight Imperium universes and, and that sort of thing, so... So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what all they do with it, where where it goes, and does it renew interest in the base game, you know, the original oh, yeah. game, Android, which had sort of mixed reception, and do they uh, reboot that game and put out a second edition, like they obviously, you know, TI is in its third, and Descent now is in its second, right? Um, you know, maybe something happens now. Android, I think everybody kind of wrote it off as well, you know, yeah, some people loved it, some people didn't, but they weren't really ever going to do anything more with it. Now I feel like maybe they will because this is sort of the, the launch pad for this whole series. So maybe uh, we will see an expansion or, uh, you know, another uh, second edition. So, yeah. Anyway, that's why I bring it up. I thought that was, that was kind of interesting that a third in the series, I won't actually pick it up myself. I'm kind of 
off the living card game, collectible card game thing. I've tried many a time. Warhammer Invasion is probably the most I've liked one. And I guess I could be sold on the Star Wars one, depending. But but really, as I said, I kind of prefer the like Summoner Wars experience with how the... Uh, just the simple pre-game deck optimization works there, and then you just kind of get right into it. Uh, it's not this whole involved thing, right? Uh, which is which is fine. I don't, you know, it's just, but it's more the type of thing when you're only going to play a couple of games, then you're going to put the effort into that. I play way too many different things to really, you know, the 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 packs are coming faster than I can even get the thing played. So, oh, it yeah. just doesn't really make much sense for a person like myself. So. I, like with the Lord of the Rings one, I can't believe how many packs yeah. have come out for that. Yeah, well, and, and and there at least you can play that solo. So I mean, maybe if you are busy playing other board games and stuff, and you know this is something maybe you fill your time with, uh, it's possibly more doable. But but yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, that one I wasn't as big a fan of. Again, I, Warhammer Invasion really is is the flagship LCG for me, the one that I've mm-hmm. liked by far the most. Uh, and and even at that, I got you know I got out of that game and sold it. So. So I think on to all things Feld. Who is this Feld guy? I don't know, you know. Who, I, who is this Feld that you speak of? I, I hadn't even realized, I think back when I first mentioned, I don't even know where it popped. It must have been because of Castles of Burgundy where it sort of popped in my head that, all right, you know, here's a game that I've, I've rated – you know, a 10 at one point, and, you know, even now is pretty close to it, or might be a 10. Well, you know, I don't, no spoilers, right? But uh, I've talked fondly about it in previous episodes. And, and so I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to say something that great about a game like that, well, what do I think of, of this designer's other games? And uh, as I started going through the list, and I never really had bothered to look at all the lists, uh, I realized I'd actually played a whole lot of his games. And, uh, the, in fact, there wasn't that many of his that I hadn't played. So... Uh, I figured, well, this would be uh, a good designer to talk about which of his games I've liked a lot, which ones I haven't liked, and so on. And uh, a couple of them were available to play online, so I figured, well, if I'm going to talk about it now, I, I should do so having played them all recently, as opposed to, yeah, I played that you know six years ago or something, and right. I think I thought this. So, so I sort of uh, made this task to play all of them at least two times, and, uh, you know, I, I guess what it, it, I got a little carried away with it or or maybe that was a little bit more of a challenge than I thought, because, well, A, I ended up ordering pretty much all of them just to make sure <laughs> I got physical plays in, too, because, you know, sometimes the online experience is different and you're playing with different player accounts and stuff. And, and uh, you know, otherwise, even even with the online ones, and I you know played them many more than two times. So yeah, I think I mentioned in the teaser in an earlier show. I've I've probably played and then been hush hush on, you know, thirty, forty. I don't even know how many Stefan Feld games since we launched the show back earlier this year. So, right. um, 
So it's good that I finally get to catch up and talk about uh, all of those. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about ten of them. Uh, I figure we'll just go in the order of release year. So we'll talk about the oldest ones first, go all the way through the newest ones, and then at the end I'll kind of list out the order uh, that I that is that I like them currently from you know worst to best. Okay. And and sort of our our board gamers dozen fashion. Although in this case we have a little bit less than than a board gamers dozen. So. All right, so first up would be Notre Dame. Do you know much about this one? I think I this is one of the ones. I'm familiar you... with this yeah. one. I, I know that it's a felt game and I've seen it online, but Okay, so this I is the played. this is the you know, number eleven in the Alea box series, the big okay. boxes. And this is a one from way back in two thousand seven. Probably the oldest game of note from him, uh, at least as far as my memory. And really what it is is, it, I mean, people remember it because it's got kind of this rose uh, game board where you, you place a different center tile depending on the number of players and, and the player boards kind of arc out from that center tile. Uh, now, for me, just to kind of skip right to the opinion, so, you know, Really, with 10 games, I'm not going to go through all the mechanics of each game, right? We, we would have a 10-hour show, so <laughs> I'm going to kind of stick to what I liked and what I didn't like. And then if that sounds interesting or you know that type of thing, then we'll then go on BGG and, and, and check out more about the game. So, uh, But Notre Dame, for me, is not a great title. And uh, I say that because it really is dry as dust and completely themeless to me. I mean, really, you've just got these different locations on your board, which, you know, great. There's a hotel, there's a bank, a park. Uh, you know, you, you put the cubes on the board. There's some different character cards you play that really is is meaningless to think about what they are or aren't. And, you know, that's that's basically all there is to it. It's a maximizing, you know, efficiency maximizer type of game. And... Those, you know, if you're going to do that kind of thing again, you know, even if it's stocks and bonds or something, you know, kind of boring like that, well, at least, again, the, the theme comes kind of comes out better. Uh, so so this is basically as themeless as it gets. But, you know, that said, okay, I have, there's plenty of themeless games that I like. But, you know, it, this one, you really are kind of shoving cubes around and such. So I got to say, though, the board looks cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But 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 I even have a complaint on that because it's one of the you know I, I listed one of my pet peeves as the game boards that don't really even need to exist and and this is one of those where okay. the mechanic there's a mechanic the only real basically these are just areas and you don't place in opponents areas you place only in your own areas on your own board ever so you could just have the board in front of you and, and so it, so and if it, you're playing with let's say three people because it looks like. It looks kind of like a flower, maybe. Right. Yeah, they're different petals. Yeah. And so if you're playing with three people, you only play with three petals. Right. But, but you never place your cubes on their board. You, you know, you never really take their cubes. There's nothing like that at all. There's simply this one uh, carriage that can move around and pick up these, you know, tiles that are on the junction points and stuff. But that's totally tacked on, if nothing else. Like. You know, he was sitting there looking at it. Go, I need something to kind of make a purpose to the board, so I'll do this. Right? I mean, it just doesn't. You know, I, feel, I just feel like games have come a long way since this title. So back in its heyday, right? I mean, when there wasn't weren't as many Euro games and such. Uh, I understand, you know, why 
people liked it and i i had played it I, you know i think uh, other people had brought it to game night and such and it was it was nothing i owned until recently and it's 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 up on bsw um you know and and i used to play on that site some and, and such but you know it's not an awful awful game i mean but it's just not one that i particularly enjoy and you know i i, gotcha. I want to say that the people that probably really love this game are the people that have been playing it since it first came out. And for somebody now, if you're going to go back to it for the first time, I think there's probably just better stuff out there. There is a trading card situation, which, you know, you know, where you're taking cards and passing them to the, to the left and that type of thing. Again, uh, I think a lot of people probably don't even realize that, that that mechanic goes back as far in time as it as it does right right oh yeah so you have that here in this game too and for me you know a part of it too was it i don't know it it kind of just feels more obvious than i'd like it in terms of you know i get the cards and which one should i take it just seems like you know it's not that interesting of a choice because it's either it's obvious which one i take or it kind of doesn't really matter right and it yes, there's it matters in terms of the uh, after I've played it 50 times, I don't know like, like exactly how to maximize, optimize everything. And again, that's going to appeal to a certain type of person, but just there's not enough else going on in this, you know, to make it worth that. So, but yeah. you know, it, it's good. I mean, the the game doesn't generate that much analysis paralysis really, but but maybe that's just further proof of its lack of life. <laughs> Right. Like, mm-hmm. If if it really is this deeper game, then why isn't it? You know, why isn't why aren't uh, the players just falling victim to analysis paralysis? But you know, I I do have respect for the game and those who like it. Again, it's just not for me. So yeah, it looks like this was probably his third or fourth game that he published. Yeah, and I think our, his, his early ones like Rum and Pirates, which is a game I haven't played, and I, Roma. Yeah, I, so so Roman Pilot, Pirates. I mean, most most feedback was not great on that, so I've I've just never really bothered to pick it up or, or ask somebody to play it. Uh, Roma, I have heard good things of. Back in the day, I, I pulled my hair out trying to find copies of that, or and then the Arena Two when they uh, Arena Roma Two when they released that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of fell off my radar and. In this edition of Feld Review, I've kind of just been focused on the larger games of his, so that's why I've stuck to kind of the larger. Exactly. So yeah, we we go back as far as Notre Dame, and we'll move up from there. Okay, so moving on, a game I do like quite a bit more than Notre Dame is also from the year 2007, in the year of the dragon. And you have played this one. I know. Yes, I have. Yeah, so this is a uh, quicker game, at least with two anyway, which I've played. Uh, it's a game that works particularly well with two, so I, I, that's one reason I do like it, and I've played it with two. I've played it with more, and it's, I almost want to say I prefer it with two, because there's it's just a real, you know, the strategy in it is just very rewarding. It plays fast with two, and, uh, you know, I don't think a lot had lost with three other than you know that the, the game starts to go a little bit longer. So, uh, but I, I basically enjoy this with any of the player ranges and counts that I've played with. So, uh, this is a game where you're there's basically a line of events that are mostly bad, and you draw these at the beginning of the game, and you kind of see the future, right? So you know all these things that are going to happen, and you're taking a uh, 
uh, action card, and then you're taking a character to try to react to those things. So maybe it's, you know, there's going to be a, uh, a famine, and so your people are going to starve if you don't get enough rice for food. Or there's going to be a, a celebration, so you need to have uh, fireworks if you're going to score victory points and, and so forth. And really what you're doing then is there's a, these little, what are they, like little villages where you, you stack up the characters that you take below them. like castles or something, wasn't it? Palace? No, palace, I think is what they called it, right? Yes, palace floors. Yes. So there's these palace floors where you can go uh, three deep and, and you can start building them across. And for, for every palace you have, you score points. And uh, really, again, you're trying to just determine, do I want to have more of these so I score more points? Or do I want to keep it smaller and, and go deeper and have more people per palace? Uh, you know, so there's a choice there, and if if it, if most of these events, if you don't meet the requirement, you start losing people, and so then if people are lost entirely from one, then you lose a palace floor and and so forth. So, you know, money's always tight and challenging, uh, but it's really it's just this game where you you have so many things that you want to do, and you have to really choose carefully amongst the things uh, that you can do. And and that's it's right. kind of like the perfect example of what a good game decision is, right? Or you know the whole the whole game theory thing. And one of the things I like about the game too is, so what there is is there's seven action cards in the center of the game board, and they're divided based upon the number of players. So if you have two players, it's four and three, and with three players, it's uh, you know, two, two, and three, or whatever. And when one player chooses an action and they put a little token on it, then if you choose an action from one of the other groups, it's free. But if you really need the action that's in the the group they chose, then you can uh, pay three and still take that action, which is a, a really nice dilemma. Again, so you're you're not really being denied by another player, but right. you're being penalized based on that. And so then there's a lot of interesting strategy there where it's like, well, I really want to do this, but I think if I do this instead, it's going to kind of screw over my opponent. So, and again, one one of the reasons why I like the two-player game because then it's more of a direct confrontation, right? And right. Uh, and you know, whether it's three or four, it's kind of well, I've been picking on him a lot, type of thing. So. Um, since a lot of Feld games do have that kind of meanness to them, uh, but but that's player interaction too. So that's one of the things that makes Feld Feld. Uh, you know, there's a lot of these games where it's multiplayer solitaire, and most of the Feld games don't have that feeling at all. Oh, exactly. So, uh, and particularly the the better ones are the ones that I think where that comes out even more so that interaction. And so in the Year of the Dragon is one of those because of that. And then also then what you have is you have the uh, person cards where you get you get a certain set number and then you use these to kind of recruit the person and put them in your palace. But after you run out, you and there's a couple of wilds, but if you spend those, then now you won't have enough later in the game maybe for something else that you want to do. And so you have to be really careful with who gets expelled from the palace. And I think, again first-time players feel like they're doing something wrong if, if people are getting kicked out, but it, there's a nice choice between 
okay, I, I let's say I needed four rice and I have three. Do I really want to waste my one action just to make sure I don't lose a guy? Or can I do something else that's even more productive for another event coming up or something like that? Go ahead and lose a guy that I didn't really need anyway, right? And, and that whole kind of thing. So I really enjoy the types of decisions that come up in the game. And I don't think there's ever been a game that I've done so poorly on my first play. <laughs> and and I, 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 I joked with you on this too, because yeah. your first play was with me, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, and so you did you did pretty well, in fact. My, my first game, uh, despite having you know read through the rules and thinking I understood it, I, I actually ended up with just a single palace floor left and, and no, no persons at all. Um, you know, I did so poorly on the on the events. I just couldn't get anything going right, and uh, you, know, you know, palaces were collapsing and people were dying left and right, and you know, I had a, a terrible score at the end. So, um, so it's 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 kind of amazing, right? I mean, I think most people, if they you know they they lost that bad, would just you know throw the game in the trash or something. And and I didn't even. Uh, That's a challenge. Yeah, I didn't That's even challenge own it if, at the time. So. And one thing that's interesting about this game and probably the majority of his games, because they all, at least for me, they all kind of follow the same pattern where, you know, you read the instructions and you know the mechanics, you you know, you know, this is what you do, then you do this, then you do that, or this is, you know, you pick a card and you do this, you put it here, etc. You know the mechanics, but... You really don't know why you're doing it, and when you sit there and think about it, like once you play the game once or twice, it's like every time you play, you learn more about the game, and you figure out, oh, wow, look at that. Look how these things interact, and it's just amazing to me how yeah, this guy thinks of all stuff, because there's some games later on in your list here. I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but I mean, I played this one game several times already, I still have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least. Well, and in the year of the dragon, good. I mean, it's definitely, it's well-crafted. Uh, it, it's, it actually fits my pet peeve though. Uh, but amazingly, I don't hold it against this game. So I, I guess a good enough game and, and you can survive that. But it, it, that one is that the board is worthless again. I, I don't really know that it has a purpose. There's a score track around, you know, the, the outer side, there's the, um, line up the event tiles, you line up the character tiles, you put the cards in the middle. I mean, this could just as easily be off the board. In fact, on the online version, there is no board. It's just a bunch of stuff. Actually, now that I'm looking at the board, another really cool thing about the game that I like, I totally forgot about, was the person track, which is when you're taking the person tiles, there's a number associated with each one. And so there's, again, a dilemma between, okay, this is the one that I need, but this is the one that has a higher value for the person track. And what that basically does is determine who goes first. Going first in this game in lots of Feld games is very important. In fact, I think he likes that mechanic a lot. Uh, I'm not always, we'll just say, I hate to generalize and say I don't typically like games where that's an important element to go first, because um, I, I, the the tension of that is is kind of boring, right? But in many other games, but not in this game. If I, you know, without thinking through a thousand games I've played, but uh, at the moment anyway, I can't think of a better example of where it does work brilliantly. I think this is the game that's just it, how 
going first is manipulated and how you uh, deal with it in, in this game is just really, really rewarding. And I think it plays out well. And it's another factor that you're trying to balance amongst everything else. Uh, and I think it really works. So I, I enjoy that aspect of this game as well. You know, I, I guess I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. <laughs> but I mean, you said enough. I mean, it's an interesting game and... Yeah, I, I mean, fun. again, I, I I think you're gonna really get beat down on this the first couple of plays, I and mean, more so oh, than absolutely. than any other game, maybe even Feld game. Uh, you know, it just it takes a, if you're playing against a skilled opponent anyway, which is it's one of those where I'm, I'm I worry about the online people and plays because I just I feel like there are gonna be these people that have these experts out there that just love to beat on the little guys and. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I would probably hunt out somebody with a physical copy and play it that way first. But uh, and you know, you really need to play it a couple of times because, yeah. I mean, to be honest, when we played, I played probably two thirds of that game. Really, I mean, re- really not knowing a and it, good strategy. Yeah, I was just exactly, going through the motions. Exactly, it's a simple game in a way to teach. Very simple to teach, but it's but there's a lot to how you choose things and what the strategy is. And so, again, those are the perfect kind of games that I, I, I like it where, you know, it's easy easy to teach somebody, easy to pick up. But, you know, of course, if we were playing it in person, I would have taught you more of the strategy. But since we were doing it via the Internet, I kind of let you learn the hard way. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, once you're in a downward spiral, it can be hard to get out. But it's usually because you're a little too focused on the now and what you really need to do is just, again, succumb to, okay, I'm not going to survive this one, but let me plan for the next event or the one after that or something and so I think uh, it's broken plan for the into, future. I think it's broken up into months. I think it's a year and it's got 12 months and each month is a separate event. Yeah, that sounds right. There's 12 event tiles. Uh, two, right. You get two months of peace where nothing bad happens, so you can kind of get some stuff together, start building, and then uh, the other ones are the same every time. So they come out randomly, but you see them all at the beginning of the game. They're not like drawn from a face-down stack or anything like that. So there's really the there's not really much randomness in the game other than the the cards, yeah. the way that they're separated out in the center. So, so so you can actually plan for something, you know, several months or turns and or rounds, whatever you want to call it, in advance. Yeah, know? and I mean, I often do now where I go, again, where I, I say, hey, I'm with my particular strategy, I'm willing to lose these persons. I can lose two of them, I can lose this, or hey, I'm going to go get all my rice now, even though the other one, the other event that uses it is until the very last one in the game, and you know, I'm just going to uh, churn that out so I can burn the people that otherwise, uh, you know, were wasting space you know i can use another event that i don't fulfill to then kill off those guys because i don't need them any longer uh, and kind of balance that way and so there's just all kinds of different strategies and uh, now that's one reason i do like playing online is playing against variety of different people you see different approaches to things that it's one of those games i think if you played in a very small fixed group you might not see all the different variations that there are and everybody kind of plays maybe this one same way but now you play with different people, and you say, "Oh wow, I never really thought of trying, you know, this that tactic. That's interesting, right?" So, um, so it is actually a game I enjoy. I enjoy playing it online. And uh, I like it too. Where is it? Board Game Arena. So it's a site I don't yes. otherwise play on that much. It's real time. So, but again, it's a pretty quick game. Usually, it's played two player online. And uh, I, again, I really like the physical copy too. So I'm, uh, you know, split. I like I like both. Okay. That's your in the year of the dragon. 
What's next? Next up is we're skipping all the way to uh, 2009, and the game is Macau. So is this one you know of? Have you played this one? I, I don't recall. This has been on my wish list for a long time. I have not played it yet. I definitely will. Definitely will. Well, maybe yes. you can buy my copy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, this is a this is another. I mean, jumping again to my verdict on this one is it's it's a game I respect a lot, and more so than Notre Dame. Actually, I think Notre Dame the respect is more for its time, uh, which is funny because this is only two years apart. But somehow Notre Dame just feels more like something back in like the Tigers and Euphrates days, you know, like 1999, 2000. I don't know. Maybe it's just the dull components again. But but Macau uh, is this sort of pure efficiency crisis management game with a dice gimmick on a, on the wheel. And that's really what it comes down to in terms of what people generally, I think, hate about the game. <laughs> okay. It's because the dice gimmick is just really painful. You know, I, I've, I've, I've sort of, my running joke when I talk about this game is that the game itself should come with a pair of nipple clamps or, you know, something <laughs> Something. It's really, really painful. I mean, I, I don't know of a single game I've ever played that is as painful to play as Macau. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know of a game that my wife's ever hated as much as she hated Macau. Because you, you just... It's one of those where there's all this stuff going on. It's it's complete chaos in a, in a, in a non-chaotic way. I don't know. How, it's hard, difficult to describe. There's all kinds of mechanics in this game. You know, there's 50 different mechanics in the game. And everything you want to do, you can't do, but you don't really ever know why you can't do it. And it, it doesn't really seem to be, matter how many times you play. You still suffer all this pain. It just becomes... And that's why I say crisis management. Uh, that's really the perfect description of the game. It's just how well can you survive all of this? And and oddly, you know, an odd comparison to the game would be Civilization, uh, because that's the other crisis management game that comes to mind. Where, uh, you know, you're you're having plagues and half your people are being wiped out on the map and all this bad stuff's basically happening. Okay. And and the whole point of the game is who survives all that better. But at the same time, in civilization you're building through the tech cards and the technologies and and on this AST track and stuff. And that's I think why the crisis management works there. Plus there's this work workable spatial element. So that's the reason why Macau fails for me because both of those other things aren't there. There's there's this little ship thing, but it's so unfulfilling. You just kind of sail around and deliver some goods that you happen to get. There's an area of the board where if you happen to match up some cubes and you know and, and then there's the the whole card mechanic that we've seen now in dozens of games where okay, this contract is is this and uh, you know, you know, the the thing is, and I hate to go back to theme uh, on a you know on a cube pushing euro, but there's no attempt to even explain what the cubes represent in this game. Really, I mean, it just okay. it, it's it's one of the most pasted themes ever. And the cards they have these little acronyms: AC, GC, PP. Why would they do that? It makes the game way more complicated to teach, and for new players, even if they'd used iconography, it would have been better. So I don't know why they did it. 
to jump ahead, you know, basically this is this is a game where you're you're uh, you roll dice and, and you the dice are random, right? And so you're picking from the dice numbers, and the numbers relate to the cubes, and you're turning your dial and such. Um, but you, again, you just have very little control over it because of the dice roll. Whereas in uh, Tragen, which is a game we'll talk about way later on, there's a different Moncala mechanic where there's still this interesting thought that goes to it, but you actually have some control over, you know, and 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 sort of thinking ahead, right? So just like in Year of the Dragon or Luna that we're talking about, where there's this planning ahead aspect, right. in Macau you really can't do that. You really can't have the strategic plan as much because there's just well, I hope I get the dice I need. I'll kind of try to put more stuff over there. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. You know, it's just for as much as you try and you think it makes a difference, so often if it, it, it seems like it really doesn't. So. And then there's the cards, which are random. So there's a lot of random stuff going on in this one. Cards and the dice, your your planning can go wrong multiple times in a row just due to both of those. You know, lining lining up three color cards for one player could land three times for three cards in a row, but never for you. Right. So you know, why did why did they have everything work out perfectly for them, but now I got screwed and and you know it's hardly my fault so you know there's some some mitigation for that you could take more of the larger numbers early and things like that but i don't know there's just the game's just too punishing and frustrating and and that's really what it is is i think i'm never going to find a group that plays this game so i probably would i mean i know i'm sounding like i hate the game but any 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 group I've played this with, and any gamers I've talked to who have played it on their own, there's so many people that just hate and loathe this game. Where yeah. am I going to find a group of people that'll play this? Because the only I'll play it. Well, y- yes, but it it's <laughs> see. I'd always heard that this game is often compared to Castles of Burgundy. I mean, to the point because of it where it has dice. It has nothing to do with Castles of Burgundy. Because I always thought it was like the precursor. Nope. It has dice. I don't think so. It has dice used in a totally different way. I don't think it's anything like it. That's, you know, just one opinion, but I don't see it. Okay. But, you know, again, any you might as well pick any dice game then. Twa is more like Castles of Burgundy to me than, than Macau. Zom- zombie dice? There you go. So, uh, <laughs> okay. but yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't really save any dice turn to turn. Uh, you know, I don't know. There, it seems like there would be just other design decisions that, you know. But again, you know, yeah, he was. If as long as we call it a crisis management game, then on that level, I can kind of respect it. Uh, but you know, I think it's going to take quite a few plays to get good at it, and you're going to need a, a regular group dedicated kind of to playing this. You know, this has to again be one of those games in a collection of a few games amongst a steady game group and played to a point where everybody kind of gets how it's played and they've all, uh, you know, succumbed to the fact that it's going to be a little painful and, you know, uh, but, you know, again, there's still the pick up and deliver components. It's pretty dull. Uh, you know, the, the, the meaning, the spatial elements in the game are really not that interesting to me. What you can plan is pretty obvious with, based upon the goods you already have. And, uh, you know, it's the last four or five turns, when you even really have the steam to kind of move along with a boat and whatnot. So, you know, the, the territory map, uh, you know, somebody could be blocking you there. And, you know, again, part of, part of what's spoiling me on this game, and, you know, I'm 
now giving a spoilers to say that I think a lot of what's done here is done better in Tragen. Uh, okay. There's there's just everything, all the pieces. You know, this is a game with you know twelve different mechanics all thrown in there, and a lot of those I think are redone in a totally different way, but but reminiscent way to Macau in Tragen, and I just think they work better in Tragen. So that's those are the two games to me that strike the comparison that this is the precursor to to Tragen, not in any way to Castles of Burgundy. So I also, you know, talking about randomness, I don't know how we forgot about this, but there's a the random amount of gold buys a random amount of victory points per turn. That's good, right? So I think I might hate that the most. It seems completely needless. So you go for a trade smartly, you know, four for eight, and then uh, the next turn it's, you know, two for eight, and everyone else jumps on that instead. Great. Okay? <laughs> Especially in games that come down to, you know, often a couple of points one way or the other. What did I do wrong then? I bought I bought when the the ratio was good, but it just randomly happened to be better the next turn. And you know what? People people didn't not buy at four for eight because they didn't they thought it, maybe it was going to be better. They just didn't have money, right? So that next turn they just happened to have the money. And okay, great. It, it is a game about going first at all costs. And I mentioned again with Any or the Dragon, there's some games where I don't like uh, as much the way that it's implemented. This is one. So I don't really care for the way that the going first works in this one, uh, you know. But getting optimal card choice, first city building, first ship movement, uh, you know, maybe more so than even Agricola, or more so than a lot of games. I mean, it's really, really important in Macau to go first, from my observation and, and plays. And you know, I don't know. I guess it's pretty important in the Year of the Dragon as well. But but I have successfully played that not caring, right? If I if you optimize enough of your other choices, then I think you can survive not going first, and that's an interesting tactic. In Macau, at least I haven't been able to do it, and you know it's been painful for me to play it uh, each time where I've where I've tried anyway. So, but again, in a in a weird way, uh, it's actually a pretty simple game to teach, so that's a plus. It's not that much to it. It's it's just really tough to teach the strategy. And, uh, you know, again, if, if in your dragon takes a bunch of plays, this one takes, you know, even more, you know, two, three times that. Right. Uh, but again, in the year of the dragon, I feel like I was progressing each time and I was enjoying the game each time, even when I was losing, even when it was getting annihilated, I would always see, okay, I see what I'm doing wrong that I could do better next time. Yeah. And you you learn a little bit more. Yeah. With Macau. You know, not that that didn't still happen. I mean, I'm at a point where, again, I think I would, I enjoy, would enjoy playing the game at a, at a con with an experienced group or something. But, uh, but I don't know. I don't, I don't just. There's so much chaos going on and so much randomness. I just feel more like the game's kind of, you know, I'm kind of along for the ride. And, you know, I, again, I know it's an odd comparison, but if, for crisis management, I just feel like I'd rather play Civilization or something like that. Uh, and for Feld games, there's other games. So I have, like, as a, I started mentioning it in the last show, but as an art form, you know, as a game art piece, I really, really, like, respect Macau just because it, I, th- I think he was going for that, right? I, I mean, you can only really knock the game and tear it apart, and I know it sounds like I did again, but you can only really do that if you thought he was trying to make this, like, Euro, right? This still like deep Euro with with long term strategy and and brilliant tactical decisions. And I don't think it's supposed to have been that at all. I think it was this 
efficiency mixed with crisis management game. And so on that level, he kind of achieved it. And it does have a different experience playing it than most any other game that comes to mind, which is, you know, the whole, you know, somebody pinching you the whole time type of feeling. Well, I think somebody on BGG actually said they'd rather go to the dentist than play this game. So... What's next? Yeah, so moving on then. Uh, I think we're going moving on to 2010. Yeah, 2010 Luna. Here's a game that uh, you know I, I owned a while ago, and I've actually uh, gotten rid of it, but only barely so. And uh, you've played Luna, right? How many how many times yeah. have you played it? A couple times, or mm, probably about three times now. Okay, so I, I've played it. You know, maybe a half dozen or so. Uh, and in fact, I just played it this last week. And, you know, what I can say about it is the first time I played it, I really liked it. I mean, really, just really liked the game because it had this future computation that uh, I just thought was going to be really neat. Where there's what, what it is is there's a Oh, a priestess, moon priestess that's on one of there's uh, what is it? A bunch of aisles around a board, eight or nine, I think it is. Right. And she moves a predictable amount of space, and she's on one of the islands, and you have little meeples that are on these islands. And so whoever has the most on the island that the moon priestess is on earns quite a bit of victory points. It's, you know, five or six, depending on the number of players. And then there's some points for second place. But what you what she does is she moves a predictable number of islands, and there's one of the actions you take in the game is moving your guys around. So you simply can count ahead and go, okay, well here she's here this turn. I'm not really going to have a play there, but I can kind of maneuver ahead. And I like games with maneuver, right? So you know, back back when I was the big war gamer and such, so maneuvering's a definitely one of my things so being able to maneuver and you know or even chess for that matter right where you're looking ahead three four turns and going okay uh so maybe where she's going to be next turn is not quite perfect for me but two turns out i've got something i can kind of do right where i can do this on my next turn if i do that and then i can move her here where she'll be and then i'll score and i'll have more pieces and i found that very interesting at the same time there's another character that moves around with negative points so you're trying to avoid him and then there's a third one that allows you to build these shrines, which is basically points at the end of the game, but kind of a discount for certain actions during the game. So it's kind of a dual benefit. Yeah, I think those were the, what, the Apostle and the Builder? Is it Builder? Sounds Architect, right. Architect? Yeah, the, the old dude. Yeah, yeah. guy with the beard. Yeah, and of, course, and of course the negative guy is like wearing these dark black robes. Yeah, that's the Apostle, I think is his name. Yeah. So he only moves one. The the guy that lets you build the shrine moves four. So there's all these different uh, numbers with them, and, and so they end up in different places and such. And so, you know, really, uh, you know, that's the first thing about the game that I had really found interesting. And then the second one is there's a spatial element. Yes, yes, the board has purpose. So there's a, a bunch of tiles that get put in a track, and there's, you know, another mechanic there where if you can take the tile and place it in the temple earlier in the game it's worth more points than if you do it later in the game and based on and they're kind of pre-numbered so they go in a pre-set spot and if the number on tile that you place is higher than the number on any of the tiles around it you actually kick people off and uh, you score a bonus point for doing that so if you like for instance in the first turn you'll score six points for putting it in the temple and one point uh, any turn where you kick another guy off so if you know you might score eight points 
But then every turn that you stay in the temple, you're scoring a point at the end of each of the rounds, and there's six total rounds in the game. So you could potentially score, you know, 12, 13 points off of just one placement, uh, which is which is quite significant. Uh, and then, you know, the only real other aspect to the game is there's uh, these different actions. So there's, and it's quite clever, again, where you're taking people active, what they call active people off of the island if uh, you say you want to recruit another meeple or if you want to move them to another island and then there's favor tokens each island has a unique favor token and this favor tokens are very important let you you know kind of break the game maybe put people back on the island or and, and thereby taking kind of a second turn or um, ones just like gold lets you bribe so you can take maybe a better position tile uh, you know things of that nature, right? So that's an interesting element. There's uh, not so much a concept with fighting over who goes first in this one, although there is kind of a track that you push up for more points at the end of the game. But before I kind of come to my current opinion or conclusive opinion after several plays, why don't you say what you thought of the game, Rob? This is a game that I bought quite a while ago, but I haven't played. And I tried to learn how to play it on uh, Yukata. Mm-hmm. That is not where you learn the game. You <laughs> do not. I mean, it was just awful. I just yeah. It it's so disconnected. Th- this is a game that does not lend itself to you know play yeah, by it's mail or whatever you want to call it because six eight. 12 hours, couple of days go by in between turns. You have no idea what happened or, or anything. Yeah, and, and there's such micro little turns because it is it is a fast game, and that's a big plus to the game. Is right. you know we played three the other uh, the other night, and you know maybe it took an hour. You know I think most of us, well two of two of the three of us had played before, one hadn't. But you know you just sort of sail through the game, and that's a definite plus for the game. Uh, but online, yeah, it just the game drags out over a month, you know, even if people are are you know doing their turns often. And I think we had played a game online, right? Yes. Did I win? <laughs> anyway, I think, no, no, no. Actually, did you win? No, no. Yeah, you won that one. Okay, that's right. So you snuck out the victory right at the end, I believe. Yeah. So and that was, I think, a two-player, which this is definitely a game. Well, you can even play with one, right? I, I've never played it solo. Yeah, you can play solo. I've never, I've never tried it that way, but I've heard you can play it that way. Uh, you know, it works all right with two. I, I kind of did like it more when I played with three or four, and it still plays quick enough. Okay. And it's just because of the bouncing people out in the center type of thing. It's just it, there's a little more of the tactical spatial element I think with more players. Uh, there's also this thing where you can protect a tile with a book, and it just never really seemed worth it with two. And I still don't really do it that much with more, but it's, I feel like you know the potential is there better with multiple players. But it's not awful, awful with two, I, and I, I have no right. idea with one. Um, but again, so what did you think about the game, though? What's your thought, you know, based on the number of times you did play it? So th- this was an interesting game in the way of when I first got the game, I read the instructions and I finished the instructions and I said, okay, I have no idea how to play this game. So I read them again. <laughs> yeah. It is confusing. And it is confusing because of the way they made, go through the actions. Yeah. You know, it, it's really, it really reminds me of 
Cisco documentation. So where it basically explains this is this, that is that, that is that, that is that. But it does not tell you how anything goes together. Yeah, and why would I do this or why would I do that or even just lay out some basic Absolutely. an example turn or something and you go, oh, that's clever. Now I see what you're supposed to be trying to do with this stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and actually, really, the rulebook is written like a player's aid in, in a way in the middle Yeah, mm-hmm. where it just – yeah, it, it really could do a better job, but th- that's exactly why it makes it kind of an easy game to teach. Because if uh, if somebody has played it, and well, I actually taught it this last time, and it was a little difficult for me just because it had been a while since I played it. Right. But after I kind of refresh on a couple things, the setup's the most complicated thing. It really is. T- it does take a long time for setup, which is why I'm disappointed that the online isn't better um, for as fast of the game. For me, uh, I, I do like it. It's, um, yeah, me too. I, I only got rid of my copy, A, because they were going for considerable money, and B, because I, and I'll keep saying this, but I've just, with a number of games, you know, by, by practically every game that there is, uh, I just have to set the bar really high. And, the, and this is just under the bar, uh, but it's not quite good enough because this is an experience game or I'll have to come up with a better buzzword for it, but this is this is a game that I, I have to say everyone should try. I think there is, and in fact, that's the, the the player who the gamer whose copy we played. That's what he had said about the game: is that I don't have another game like this game, and that's why I'm keeping it, even though some people don't like it. Right. Uh, and 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 I, I guess I agree with that because it is it is unlike most other games. I mean, it has, and that's probably why it got nominated for the SDJ award. But okay. it, it did. Some people even thought it might win. Um, yeah. But it is unlike, you know, just because of the, the thinking ahead thing. But that's ultimately, as I played it more, you know, again, the first play, I was like, wow, oh, this is going to be so good. And I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to really enjoy getting better at this game. And But that, it just, I didn't, I didn't actually enjoy further plays, you know, the, or at least maybe past the first two or three. It, it got to where it's one of those, and we kind of said it about Castelli, where you know it's not a it's although I like this game way more than that one, just to be clear, uh, it's just it's almost too thinky yeah. for the investment and the reward that you get. Like like I get I understand how to play it and play it well, but. It's it's it just doesn't it doesn't have the reward for for that amount of of effort and thought uh, because a lot of times it doesn't seem to to really matter there you know there's so many different ways to score points and there's so many different things you can do and different favors and and uh, you know it's hard to predict a lot of in this game really what the other players are going to do outside of maybe with the moon priestess thing so um, there's not a lot of denial right. Um, right. So at the same time, almost not that much player interaction, you know. And I, I don't know. It just it again. It just didn't feel like for as thinky as it is, like you really had uh, quite the amount of, of of control or or that the different strategies really mattered, you know. And even the spatial element with the temple, uh, it's okay. I, that's kind of the one I got because that's where I had guys and you know, somebody else had already kicked him off the turn before. That, is that really my bad play that that happened? So now I don't score that one point. I don't know. I mean, it, it just, it's good. 
but not great, right? It's even above average good, but not great. <laughs> so, you know, for the occasional play, when somebody else brings it out, I mean, I even requested it this last time. So, yeah, every now and again, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, with it being online too, you know, maybe I'll jump in for a game every now and again. But right. I, I don't feel like I needed to own it. But I do think everybody should definitely find, uh, definitely play it. And since I didn't mention that for Macau, again, I, that is another experience game. I think everybody should at least play Macau once, unless the description I gave makes you know that you would hate it, right? Okay. Um, which I think would be true for many people. For Luna, I don't think anybody's really going to hate the game. Um, so, you know, yeah. They'll probably be really confused at the beginning. <laughs> right. Not know what's going on. Well, there'll be people that don't love but, the game, yeah. but I don't know. You know, it is a little weird of a theme. It's kind of themeless in a way, in its own way, right? I don't care for the art. I don't, the theming's kind of dull. So that's not a real plus for me either. So, Because, um, yeah, now that you mention it, the theme does seem kind of like a mishmash. You've got islands, you've got temples, you got... Yeah, it's kind of like a weird fantasy moon crisis thing. I, I mean, I don't really know what they were yeah. going for. I think they could have done better. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about this one, too, though, is where if if we say, you know, Notre Dame's been borrowed left and right, but not really by Feld as much. Macau, I said, maybe has been uh, the precursor to Tragen, to me, uh, versus Castles of Burgundy. But Luna, I think, is a great example of a game that's just really needs to be borrowed from and revisited as like the real masterpiece by Feld, right? Where he takes kind of what he did with Luna, takes the best stuff, puts in some fresh stuff and, you know, mixes it around a little bit. And then you go, yeah, okay, this is a, this is the game Luna should have been. Right. Because it's almost, almost that gem, right? But it's just not quite shiny enough for me. So what else in 2010? The other 2010 game was Speakerstadt. And this one, uh, this one we played online. So is it, yeah, Yukata? Yes. And I also own a copy. And I have a copy on the way. So uh, why don't you start this one off? Tell everyone a little bit about it and what you thought. Okay. So the game is centered around... uh, the uh, Speicherstadt, which I guess is a warehouse district or something like that, mm-hmm. somewhere. <laughs> and it's an interesting board where it's got a bunch of buildings, if you call that interesting. It's got a bunch of buildings on it, and essentially what you do is you lay out cards, which I believe are dependent on the number of players that you have. And people have their little like meeple markers that they essentially place down above the cards onto the building. And that mechanic is then used as like a, um, uh, it's used for an auction mechanic. Would you say that's right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a bidding mechanic. So yeah, or a bidding. That's, that's a better Mm -hmm. way to put it. So for example, if a particular card had, let's say three meeples on it, the the person who put their meeple down first has the option to buy it, but they have to pay three coins. And they could either refuse or they could purchase it. And then if they refuse, 
their guy goes off, and then the next person can purchase it for two. Right. Now, and it, what's... Yeah. I think this is a good time to point out what I find particularly brilliant about this design, which is the fact that... What's that? Brilliant. Not brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Is the fact that you can bid on the card multiple times, right? So all, all, the, all of these right. little workers are placed ahead of time, but I could, in fact, I could even bid... Uh, and I think uh, is it is it four that you get in the base game speaker shot, uh, but in any case, I, I could really I could place one on this card that I really want. You could place one on the card that you the same card right, thus raising right. the price to two. To two, correct. I could place a third one, raising it to three, and a fourth one, raising it to four. Now you would say, why would you do that? That seems rather silly. Well, I get the first opportunity to buy it as the first person who placed, but I've bid up the my own cost, right? I would have to pay four. Right. So I'm going to clearly pass. Now you have the opportunity to buy it at three instead of what would have been one because you were the only meeple remaining, assuming we were doing a two-player, right, or we were the only two that bid on it. Correct. Uh, but here's the thing. Money's open in the game, so I knew that, say, you only had two money left. So by bidding it up to three, not only do you not get it, but now when you pass, the cost is now two. Well, I pass with my second to last meeple, the cost is now one. So I actually win this card for one money. Right. By by kind of understanding and looking at the game situation and, and seeing how much money you had. Now even better than that is the fact that it doesn't have to be that you only had two money. Maybe you had four money and I could still do that and buy it for one. And you know why I would be able to do that? Why is that? <laughs> because I see a card earlier in or later in that I know you have to buy for two, let's say, or three, or whatever it is, right? And I go, you're definitely going to buy that card. You have to. It's a way better card than this one, um, so you're going to have to save your money for that, or you're going to have spent it first. So I still know that I can outbid you on this one by placing my guys, and what I'm really doing is sacrificing my workers to get a cheaper price for myself if I want to. Right. Now, of course, you don't have to do that. If you get, and, and this is one of the ways the game does break down. If everybody... Nobody really thinks about that. Nobody teaches you that, or you don't observe that in, in other people's play. You kind of just default to, oh, I've already bid on this. He bids on it. He's just raising the price. I either buy it at that or I don't. And you never really think of these other deeper types of uh, strategy choices. And, and and then, you know, the game kind of becomes a little... It's still interesting as a bidding game, right? But it becomes a little more dull because you go, okay, well, I either buy it for two or I don't, and then if I don't buy it, he buys it for one, and that's the end of it, right? Yeah. Move on to the next card. So, But but the fact that there can be more than that and that you, you have to really decide you want to sacrifice to add that level, that element to it, or not, that's one of the things I like about the game. But Oh, yeah. You know, continue in okay. the other elements. So the, the first part is the bidding mechanic. You place your meeples down, and eventually you, you buy the cards. Uh, the cards come in a bunch of different flavors. There's ships that have goods on them. There's, um, I don't know what you would call them, like conversion cards. Yeah, that uh, sell a good for money. Right, Yeah. or, or whatnot. Uh, there's uh, also fireman cards, right? Which are another kind of mechanic, which we'll cover in a couple minutes or a couple seconds here. And 
a, a big part of this is you purchase these cards and they have ships. And what you do is you take these goods. Now these goods can't be stored on the ships after the round or turn, whatever you want to call it. You, you have to do something with these, whether it's to sell them or to put them on cards. Uh, contracts. Yeah. You'll contracts. Have these, yes. That's these, the, which that's again is in and of itself is a very tired mechanic. We have a thousand, you know, shipping in the Mediterranean games where you have a contract for certain goods and you're trying to fulfill that. But here, very, I it's, like it. It's it's implemented in a very fresh way because Absolutely. you don't just get the contract and fulfill it and then oh great I draw another one say like Constantinopolis or whatever. It's you have to hold on to them for the entire game and at the end of the game you either have the have the goods on it or you don't and that's when you score the points. And so it's what you do throughout the game that matters. Do I convert cubes ahead of time at three to one? Or certain upgrades let you do two to one. Do I sell the goods? Do I try to get a way to store them, like with the warehouse? Do I not right. even go for that many contracts and, and earn points other ways? It, it it just that part of it doesn't feel tired for as many well, games no. as it's been. I actually like that part of the game almost better than the bidding part. Sure. I like the whole yeah, there's, you know, exchanging. Right. And, and there's doing like a cube manipulation things. that's interesting. It's not just yeah. I got these colors and. Okay, that matches up great. And you're also kind of choosing, you know, one one ship might have white. Uh, I'm looking at the back of the box, so I'm going to say what's on it, right? White, green, brown, and uh, uh, you know, another ship might have it's like coffee and tea. Well, it might only have Stop. two, yeah, or something. So you're going, wow, well, mm, you know, three because I could do something with that extra one, but there's only one color I need. But then the other two are dead on. You know, which one, and then you kind of look at your opponent, and you can see, because you can see his contracts and stuff too, everything's open, and you go, I think he's going to want that one, so I could probably get this one cheaper, that's ultimately, so there's, again, just layers and layers of, not you know, not what the type of analysis that leads to the paralysis, really, but uh, that I think can quickly be, you can quickly kind of look at that, at the money and at the goods and at the contracts and other people and sort of really just make good decisions, I think. You know, and that's what I like, right. informed decisions that m- really matter. And uh, the bidding, there's there's a really interesting level of control over that and, and um, important choice right. where you play versus another spot. And I've really heard that a lot of people kind of aren't big fans of this game initially when they first play it. That's another one I got then, slaughtered on, slaughtered on, on my first play, yeah. And then the more times you play it, the more people tend to like it. Yeah, it didn't take it didn't take many for me. I mean, even even the last half of my first game, I was like, okay, I see where this game could be better than I than I think it is now, which I think it kind of sucks. <laughs> but uh, or well, I should say I hate bidding games, right? Yeah. Um, now. I've played lots and lots of them because many gamers I play with like bidding games. So I've played not just pretty much all of them, but lots of them many times. I just don't particularly care for bidding games. Um, but this one, and because bidding itself has like the spatial element of the placement of the bid figures, right? Even though the board is otherwise a little maybe bland or whatever, but uh, it just really is It's really interesting, really meaningful. And uh, I don't find... There's randomness maybe in the way the cards come out, I guess, but then because everybody's kind of bidding on this even level 
And there's even this mechanic where if you, you get one money each round, and that's it. So money's really tight. Yes. And if you don't win anything that round, you get two. So there's often times where you kind of want to not win or where there's a choice where like, okay, it's worth it if I can get two things, but I lost on that one. They, you know, he had the option to buy it first and he spent more on it. Maybe now I don't want the other one so much because I'd rather get the two money instead of one. So now there's that choice, right? And there's um, the – so why don't you talk about the firemen because that's a, a big part of the, the base game anyway. Yeah, so some of the cards will have firemen on it with a certain number on them. So what you want to do is you want to collect these and uh, there's a certain point where a fire card comes out. How many are there? It was what, three? There's uh, three there's or four. four fire cards. There is yeah. uh, basically an A stack, a B stack, a C stack, and a D That's stack. Right. And That's there's right. one in B. A is kind of like a prep a prep uh, phase where you get a lot of the conversion to money cards. And so then there's one fire in B, C, and D. And then there's one at the end of the game. And, and they progress one, two, three, and four in strength. So when these cards come out, when the fire cards come out, the players evaluate who has more firemen and the person with the more most firemen wins right well the most valuable <laughs> firemen yeah. right so each card will have and they um w- this is also interesting because as the game progresses the number uh the value of the firemen increases so if you have an early lead you're going to have trouble holding on to it if you aren't still taking firemen Right. Uh, because the later ones are worth more. more. But yeah, the, basically the, f- the player in the lead scores those points, one, two, three, or four, depending on the fire, and the player with the least scores it as negative points. Right. Um, and so then the argument goes, and I won't deny it entirely, this is one of the problems of a two-player game, because with only two players, especially if I get ahead in, in Firemen, and I think, didn't that happen in our game? I believe you did have more. Did I, did I win? I don't recall, but you did not, and I was kind of miffed about well, it. That's because, good then. That's good because I think well, I because our game wound up being forty nine to forty eight, and it was a training game. <laughs> oh, I was so mad it yeah, wasn't scored. And game. I should have won because I've played more times and all of that. I own the the physical copy, but I, okay. So I think I had maybe I didn't do all the fire. I, I want to say I I earned all the fires, and. But there's a penalty to that. So that's the thing. It's like you go, oh, well, think about it. So that's 4, 7, uh, 9, 10. So I'm getting plus 10 points, and you're getting negative 10 points. That's 20 points I'm getting just for keeping the lead on firemen. But how much, how many actions and how much money am I wasting to make sure you don't win them or that I win them or that I keep you behind just to do that for the 20 points, right? Whereas... You know, one of the other cards in the game is a counting office, and if you have four of these, you know they start to get worth more. That's at the end of the yeah, game. And the four more of them you have, the more yeah, they're worth. Four of them's worth fourteen. Well, in a two-player game, if I'm going after all the firemen, well, then I'm probably leaving these things pretty much un unbid. So you're you're getting them for one each. So you cheaply get you know fourteen points right there. You know, again, I think for the first play, it's usually you can slaughter somebody with. Uh, Maybe that strategy, but uh, you know whatever it was, I lost out just a little bit on contracts or, or some some other difference where uh, you know actually I think what it was is you had won uh, uh, I, I had like only one of the merchants that lets you sell goods for money, and so I, I was starting to get into trouble later in the game where I just didn't have much money compared to you, right? And you were uh, you were basically just outbidding me on stuff, 
And okay. that was that was because in the early game I had gone after the firemen to kind of secure that. And so, you know, yeah, it may not be as bad as some people say, but I, I can't deny that it exists to some level, at least amongst lesser experienced players on your first, you know, easily half dozen plays that it'll... It may seem imbalanced in the two-player game towards the person that goes after the fireman, and may seem like that's the obvious strategy. Uh, although, again, I mean, if you really want to, that, knowing that, you would just fight over that and bid it up more, and then there's that much more of a penalty for the person who gets it. So, you know, I mention it because it's uh, worth mentioning, <laughs> but it yeah. is, isn't something that really bothers me. I still enjoy two players with the game. In fact, I think the game works good with two players. The mechanic. Uh, well, I had said this when I first started talking about the game. If again, uh, if you if you're not playing with somebody who's experienced, the bidding is going to be more boring, I think, because you won't you won't get those instances where you know you throw three meeples down on one bid and that kind of outbid yourself, but ultimately win it for for one, <laughs> right? It's hard to see that, you know, until you see somebody do that and go, oh, that's genius, you know, that's what the game's meant to have stuff like that going on. So. Um, with two players then, you know, with three cards and it's kind of like, okay, you know, I pick the one I want and then you're, you know, you bid it up and you pick the one you want and I bid it up. And, um, but I actually think the game still works very well with two players, uh, but probably better with three, you know, uh, if, if not four. And for that matter, it plays up to five. I never played it with five. So that's all I've got for Speakerstadt. Yeah, good game. I, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Okay, 2011. Yeah, so 2011 takes us to the other kind of Steffenfeld bidding game with a, with a twist, which is Strasbourg. And uh, I think this one's a little bit harder to get a hold of still. Or maybe by now it's not, but... My my copy is a Pegasus Spiel copy, and uh, well, this is another one that got nominated for the the Kenner Spiel de Jahara's, according to the box anyway. So uh, and 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 probably rightfully so because again we've had bidding games for eons, and maybe amongst the reasons why I'm usually not that thrilled with them is because they all kind of seem similar. But Strasbourg is another game where you kind of turns bidding upside down, and, and it has a very, 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 very fresh-feeling bidding mechanic for me. And a spatial element, so win-win, um, and a satisfying one at that, so I kind of like it. I like it a lot, in fact. Uh, so this one you haven't played, right, Rob? That's correct. Okay. So it gets called a blind bidding game, which I don't agree with. It's not blind. I mean, of all the types of bidding, blind bidding, I usually, and most people that don't like bidding, hate blind bidding the most. So here's what's neat about the game. You, um, there's, there's five random tiles for the, for the turns in the game. And you, you lay them all out at the beginning. So you get to see the whole progression, you know, the whole timeline of the game. So another kind of common Feld thing, right? But what you're doing is you're looking at the current turn then, and you have this stack of cards. And everybody has the same stack of cards, but they're shuffled. And uh, there's ones and there's, there's twos, threes, fours, fives, and uh, sixes. And you look at the current turn worth of, of things to to get, 
and you basically make stacks of what you think your bids are going to be. And so you're, you're kind of deciding ahead of time. That's the blind bidding part, right? You don't know really what other people are going to bid. So if you're going after, say, the blue token and you, you lay down a, a six, and then there's a, a money bag that you, know, you might lay down a two, and then maybe you lay down a one, right, for something else. And you can draw as many cards as you want. But if you draw them all, then you won't have any to, to bid in later rounds, right? Once you're out, you're out. And so what happens, though, is you go, okay, that sounds like blind bidding to me, right? Well, you don't have to commit which stack you bid on which item. So as other people reveal their bids and you go around, you can go, oh, mm, yeah, that's too high. I'm not going to waste my six that I was going to spend on that. I'll just, I'll just pass all together or, you know, I'll, th- I'll throw uh, a lower number down. Right. And then you somebody else, you know, bid something and you change and you bid the six for something else instead. Right. So you still have that's what's interesting about the game is you're kind of trying to give yourself options at the same time. You're hoping that you've you've predicted how much value everybody's putting towards certain things and otherwise protected the things you really want, uh, if that makes sense. Right. Yep. Okay. So on top of that, though is the fact that you don't have to win to get something. If you win, you get the most things, right? You, you place a, a, a meeple on the, on the top part of the board, and there's some bonuses involved. But even the second-place person gets both a placement on the board and a uh, good, right? And then the third person gets their choice. So there is value in being second or third, and that's one of the things you're trying to manipulate is maybe you don't, want to bid so much that you win it you just need enough that you get something that you need and so that's that's the thing that i enjoy about the bidding mechanic and then there is and and probably the one complaint i have about the game is at the beginning of the game you draw uh, a couple of uh random victory point cards which are for you and you alone which are sort of secret objectives and they might be things like uh, place a certain number of, of meeples around the outside of the board or uh, you know surround a certain tile and, and whatnot. But, but basically you choose a certain number of those that you want to go after and um, you know that's, that gives you kind of an agenda for the game. So uh, it, it, it works because then different people are going for different things as opposed to it just being a flat scoring, right? Then you'd, you'd naturally bid up the better things evenly. Um, so it kind of, I understand why it's there, but there have been times where because of the particular combination you draw, you, you want to kind of wonder, it's like, mm, if my opponent got just a better selection, is that swaying the game, you know, uh, more than I have control over if, if, especially if points are tight again, I, I've found in my plays that hasn't bothered me thus far and so it's uh so i you know i've purchased a copy and uh in fact i purchased a copy after having played it it maybe you know even three three or four times i'd played it uh i want to say three times before i purchased a copy and usually if i haven't made a decision after the first play it's rare for me to go out and acquire my own copy of a game that you know i could play elsewhere with other people right um, so I kind of did because it was a bidding game. I kind of you know I want to make sure that I really like this one, and uh, but I did find absolutely that as I played it more, it is true to to its claim and the you know the interesting twist on the bidding mechanic again and with the spatial element just works for me. 
Fantastic. So that takes us to 2011, Castles of Burgundy. So this is a game we talked about briefly, I think, in the very first episode when we were just talking about components. Um, But we didn't talk a whole lot about the game itself. So uh, I've played quite a bit of this game. Uh, I was one of the first people that got the game amongst any of the game groups that I played in. And in some ways, I would say this game I've probably played, at least in recent times, with more different total gamers than possibly any game that I own. Uh, and, and not wow. just because I, I really liked it and I championed it and you know kind of nobody else had it and it was there was buzz and everybody kind of wanted to try it, so it was very easy to do that. But because each time I did that, as compared to, say, Macau, or, well, I won't list all the games where, you know, just lots of other people didn't like it and that influenced whether or not I'd keep it, right? It doesn't really necessarily influence my opinion significantly, but whether or not I would keep it. The opposite was true of, of D. Bergen von Burgund, right? Or Castles of Burgundy. Every single group I played this with, and in fact, every player within the group liked, if not loved, the game. Uh, and I, I rarely have games that just go over that well. Where you know, just, I mean, we're talking about you know 16 different gamers here, and yeah. ga- gamers that own five games were like, I want to buy a copy of this game if you can get this for me. I I want to own this game. You know, they, they own and they maybe had five games, right? They just you know, and not because they haven't played a lot, right? But just because you know, there some people you know aren't as interested in owning games or you know their college students on a budget or whatever the case it's, might be, it's right? It's mostly party games. <laughs> yeah, I don't party know. Party games and Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, but whatever the case was, it's just like, hey, they're like, no, I really enjoy this game and I really want to, you know, I'd love to own it. And then, of course, just moving on to, you know, gamers that do have hundreds of games and going, yes, this is great. I love this game. I want to get it. And and uh, even those that weren't that enamored with it to, to run out and spend, you know, 45 bucks or whatever it was at the time, Plus shipping, we're still like, you know, yes, I like this game. Uh, the only complaint that I ever had about the game, and in fact, it's one that I'll share a little bit, is it can run long-ish, uh, especially with uh, its its full complement of uh, four players. I played it with four quite a bit. Um, I might not have ever played it with three. I think just because, again, there's always so many people that wanted to play, it was easy to fill out the game. I have played it with two with my wife, and she liked the game too, so another plus. Uh, you know, I think what it is for a Feld game, it's not as evil, perhaps. You know, there's some good interaction, maybe less so than other games. I mean, you do a little bit more of your own thing because you're on your board, spatially placing things. But you can do a bit of denial, you know, where there's choices and stuff. Try to take something because you know this person needed it. And, uh, you know, there's some other things to, to those ends. But, yeah, it's a, a little less interaction, a little less evil than some of his other games. But for me, you know, I guess the quick summary is for a dice rolling game, the thing I like about it is a lot of the other dice rolling games, dice hero games, and Alien Frontiers, which is a game I like but I'll pick on here, all every, all the manipulation is around, okay, I can flip the dice over, I can add two, I can subtract one, multiply four, whatever it is, right? I mean, it's just all these different manipulations of dice and doubles and triples and different things. Uh, whereas Castles of Burgundy really doesn't bother with all that nonsense, right? There's a simple 
wild, you know, worker tile that lets you add or subtract one. And, you know, you can play multiple ones of those. So even at two, you can basically pick any die roll besides one, right? Because the, the numbers wrap around. But because of that, the focus is just more on, you know, the, the spatial element of the board, which is you're trying to fill out different sections of a city and score bonus points. And the earlier you finish a section, the more points you score. Uh, but the larger a section, the more points you score. So it's balanced again. And there's different mechanics for, you know, matching animals in the pasture versus uh, the way that buildings and, and such score. So uh, there's a, there's a goods mechanic, right? There's there's a, a bunch going on in the game, but it's not particularly hard to teach or grasp. So I just like it. Oh yeah, the, uh, I tried to teach this to my wife a couple of weeks back, and mm-hmm. oh man, for the people that really can't deal with too many decisions or too many options. This this game is going to be a hard pill to swallow. It's not that it's a bad game. It's just that certain people just have they're, yeah. they're not cut out for it. Yeah, because uh, even with two players, you put less. Uh, and this is one of the other things about the game is it's it, it has a scaling factor for multiple players. So you put less tiles out with two, and then more with three, and and all of them with four. Uh, so it really works at any any count. Although again, I think I've only played the extremes, but two and four anyway. Maybe I played three once, but in any case. The only thing that I found in in all the plays I've played is that I, I it doesn't feel like the game gets quicker as you get more experienced. Uh, so the, it, some of the games do feel a little long, especially with four. That's that's about the only complaint I really have about the game. But yeah, I mean, you roll your dice, and when you're looking at the different options, the first turn anyway, there's a lot of different choices. And there's a lot of spaces on the board, and so I don't know. I guess it could be a little overwhelming, but absolutely, because you know when you think about it, if you're a seasoned gamer, all these decisions are not a big deal. But for yeah. people that aren't, yeah, it's no because, gateway game for sure. Because you know you roll your dice, then it's okay. Where am I going to put it? Okay, do I want to adjust my die rolls? Yes or no? Okay, then I, at, at you know, do I move something from? My hold out. Do I? It's just a lot of, a lot of decisions. Yeah, and, so and you know, I should mention for them. this one does have the first player mechanic too, where you're trying to get further along on the, on the track, and uh, it's not a, not a massive focus of the game again, but I think it works here, and you know, it's fairly satisfying the way that it's implemented. I like that there's variable player boards, so you can flip over the. Everybody can have this even starting game. And, uh, well, that's another negative, I guess, uh, only for me. But because I've played it with so many new groups and I've introduced so many people to the game, I always play, you know, with, with the basic maps. Um, so that's all fair and even, and they're a little so easier. One maps? Yeah, they're easier to learn on. But when you flip them to the back, then everybody has kind of a different starting. Uh, well, it's really a different map for the whole game, right? different focuses perhaps different strengths and such and so that's really neat that's like a whole expansion built baked right in and i'm here saying i'm positive positive i've never played with those and so i've played tons and tons and tons and tons of games and i'm not even bored with the game and i haven't even yet tried this baked in expansion i mean that's a pretty good thing i think and on top of that and i will get them but there's another set of boards that were in a magazine right which uh Spielbox. Right, which make it, those are even, they have like another twist that makes them even harder. Uh, but, you know, I'm still one ex, 
expansion away from even getting to those. So uh, I am at that point now, though, where I really do want to try. I want to play with the backside of it. So maybe I'll uh, I'll try that with my wife since it does work with her. She's a bit further along in in gaming experience. So um, for her, this game wasn't too bad to pick up. And I think you, if you go back to it, your wife will will get it. Um, oh, absolutely. Because it, it's not uh, it's not. It's, too, it's not out bad. of the running. It's just getting shelved for a little while. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at least with her. Yeah. Um, so again, I, lots of stuff I love about the game. Not much I can say other than it can be a little longish, particularly with four. That is Castles of Burgundy. And we've got uh, one more 2011. Dragon, yeah, or Trahan, or Trajan, but however you want to say it. Uh, Let's and, say Trajan, just so it's just because it sounds cool, and it's inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> in any case, this was one. Uh, this is the only one, in fact, on this entire list uh, of release titles, anyway, that I've never owned. Uh, although I intend to buy a copy, I just haven't. I haven't quite put an order together where this one was available, and I wanted anything besides it. So, uh, but I but I will acquire it. I've played it a bunch. I kind of thought it would wear out its welcome because it had a bit. Again, to me, it reminded me most of Macau, but not not the bad parts of Macau, the good parts of Macau. Uh, and that and the real evolution of it, but I still thought just because there's a lot of stuff going on in the game and a lot of almost little mini games in, in a way within it that it, it just was not going to be that interesting several plays forward. But I can say with more certainty, it's not again. It's just probably less plays of this than any of the other titles. But I don't think that that's going to be true. I think that there is continued enjoyment and. Uh, it's uh, each time I play it, I I discover more. I enjoy the play, right? I think of other things to try. Uh, one of the last games, I actually there's a this northern part where there's sort of this battle element, and I tried to just focus just on that, and it, and it did all right, but but ultimately didn't win. And maybe that taught me that if you're going to focus on one thing. Uh, well, I, I want to say that might have even been a two-player game. And so one thing, when you focus all on one thing, there's another area that allows another player to focus on. And if you know, if you were going to do all of one thing, there's one that's perhaps particularly better. But uh, more to the point, it's one of those games where you have to do a little bit of everything and maybe a lot of whatever your particular strategy is, right? Otherwise, you'll get left behind. So there's a... Uh, now... It, You've looked into this one a bit, right, Rob? Yes. So the Moncala mechanic is, and I don't, and I, I probably mentioned before, I, I don't like Moncala really. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, it's just not my thing. I didn't grow up on it, so yeah. I, it's, I think it's one of those things, right? Just looking at it now, there's nothing there for me. But, but, and when I heard that this mechanic was going to be borrowed, you know, for this game, I was like, really? I mean, come on, yeah, it's like. What is somebody going to do next? Checkers, right? I mean, just it's like we're running out of ideas, so we <laughs> yeah. go and find any old thing and staple it on, and everybody go, oh, wow, there's this new mechanic, and it's this innovative thing, and great, 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 you know, just for the sake of doing it. Well, so happily I can say 
it works, right? So, uh, and not that that still wasn't where it started. Who knows, right? I'm sure designers never admit to that kind of thing, but I like the way that it's implemented here. I mean, the, it really works. You can uh, really think ahead quite a, quite a number of turns and you know really so what it is you you've got these different spaces with different actions and you you choose one and if that's got three cubes you you simply move uh them in order and the next three spaces get one each okay and the one that the last one lands on is the action that you take you know there's diff different other things that happen and but but basically the colors do matter and you're trying to uh, manipulate to get bonuses then by different combinations of those colors. And But you can pick certain bonus tiles. In a lot of cases, you can manipulate uh, quite a bit ahead of time to land on those and, and otherwise engineer things to get all of the different ones in the right place. And it's just way more satisfying than Macau to me because you you just don't have the randomness of the die roll, but it's this, there is this sort of future strategic planning you know a couple of turns ahead not just to get the different colors where you want but to end up landing on actions that you want and uh hard to really explain how neat that is without playing through and seeing it but it does really work well and it continues to be fun and interesting to me each time that i play it wow out outside of the other stuff going on in the game and right this is this would be like the equivalent of you know rolling dice or whatever the other thing i mean this is just a mechanic that has you choose your action, right? Like this little circular rondelle thing. But that alone is like just really fun. Like, well, as we said, Mancala is a game in and of itself, right? So it's like, that's like this little mini game that's just interesting by itself. And so I really enjoy that. And then now, of course, there's the whole rest of the game, which who knows, you know, maybe I don't even have to talk about, but yeah, you know, I'm not a big fan of rondels either. Some of the game, you know, Sometimes they work, sometimes not as much. Uh, Navigator is one where it works maybe a little bit better. Um, Imperial's okay, but there's some other things I don't like about that. But you know, here again, it has a little bit of that feeling, but with the Mancala thing, so I don't know. It just feels like significant time and thought went into it, and it wasn't just a stapled-on mechanic for the point of it. And again, so the way that you place in different areas is uh, very interesting to me. Yeah, so I mean, it's been a while since I've played this one, and funny enough, because when we were we talked about TableCon a couple of episodes back, and you, you were you saw um, Ryan Metzler was playing his first game of this, uh, you know, to his credit, he was having to read the rules, and was it his wife? I think he was just playing a two-player with his wife, and wow, I couldn't think of a more brutal game to have to kind of learn as you go. And, but he did a good job of it, so I'm I was impressed. He did. You know, good, good job, Ryan. Uh, it's uh, I guess kudos for for how good you are with games. But um, it was just kind of funny because he was he did ask me some questions and uh, at the time anyway, and I don't I think I'd only played it two or three times. But you know there was some there was some just doozies where I was like, okay, yeah, I think that's it. And you know we were checking on some things and it seemed like we had most of it right. But uh, his uh, well. You know what? I'm not even going to tell you what he thought of it. Go. I'm sure he's done a review by now. Go check out his review. But really, uh, again, there's just a. Uh, you know, I won't go through each of the mechanics on the board, but there's several different places where you can place, and each sort of game is a you know mini game or mini mechanic. But they all fit together, and you're trying to optimize. You know, overall around this action selection mechanic with the Moncala stuff. 
uh, and the bonus tiles and such. So, you know, the board, it's a little abstract. I mean, to an extent, there's spatial elements in, we'll say, two areas. Uh, you know, and then there's uh, there's a penalty that comes up where, um, you know, there's there's a, a little bit of foresight into it, and it's not the whole game like in, in the Year of the Dragon, but it has a little bit of that feel. And so you're trying to protect yourself from that, uh, really from negative points and such. Uh, and I thought that worked well uh, while still being different than his other games and such. So it's not going to be my favorite Feld game, uh, you know, as I, as I play it more, but certainly a good one, if not great, borderline great. I just, it's one of these where I just, I feel like I still need more plays. You know, again, it was like three, three plays. I really should start keeping track, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's been like three plays at most. Um, so far less than some of these other Feld games where I've played them literally dozens of times, uh, or even a dozen times in the case of a, a couple of the, the newer ones. I'm encouraged about, you know, future plays and trying this with my wife, two player and such. Okay. But that's, that's all I've got to say on this one. Okay. Now we're moving up into 2012. Yeah. 2012. So Kai Specker, Speicher, Speicher, Kai Speicher. I can't pronounce any of these words. <laughs> okay, so this is an interesting game because this is the first expansion I think Feld's ever done. Uh, unless you kind of count Roma 2 as an expansion, but you know, for for his regular games, we'll say, right, kind of a, the first expansion. And you know, oddly for a game that had some mixed reviews, you know, the speaker shots, some people like it, some people don't. And I have to say, well, first let me tell you what what's in this game. Okay. So the most noticeable thing, first of all, and brilliant, brilliant, nice addition. Well, maybe not brilliant, but really cool way to entice people to buy it is metal coins. So in the base game, you had one of these, which was just the start player token. Now you get 25 more, and so this is the money for the game. And uh, since you're passing around money and doing a lot with money, it's kind of nice. I mean, you have these metal coins that you clank around and everything. And uh, since there's just one currency, one value, it, it works. You know, you don't don't have to use poker chips or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I thought that was kind of neat. You know, really really adds a nice visual components element to the game. You get an extra worker, because since there's lots more cards, and, and basically there's 50 new trade cards, of course, right? You're going to expand the cards. Um, so lots more cards. There's a lot more uh, ones that have text that change up the game in different ways. And there's some cards where now you can tr- uh, sell your good for victory points as a, as a merchant instead of for money. And then there's uh, three rare goods cubes, three of each, so nine total goods cubes. There's uh, hemp, uh, fabric, and glass, which then obviously give you better rewards for corresponding, uh, you know, contract cards. And uh, and that's it. That's I mean, that's basically you get a start card to replace the original token. But that's all that comes in this game. So, you know, more more uh, more of everything. You would think, eh, obvious and tired, right? Of course, an expansion is just going to have more cards and more right. cubes and stuff. So, hoo-yah, right? Yeah, move on. No. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to say. This game adds something else, right? It's not a lazy expansion. Kudos to Mr. Feld, because 
what expansion, now there are some, but what expansion actually adds a whole new mechanic to the game? And not just a mechanic, but a whole new bidding mechanic. So here you have a game that already had a unique bidding mechanic, right? That was very much the focus of the game you know, oh, yeah. and what stood out. And now he's added another one, which works a totally different way. In its own right, is somewhat unique. Certainly is unique combined with the base one. In my opinion, fixes the two-player game if there was any complaint to begin with, but certainly makes it way more interesting either way. And uh, you know, with with uh, with more players is is all the better. So yeah, you have what feels like you know cards that are going to double the length of the game. But now what you're doing is uh, before you would put out cards uh, one more than the player count, right? And those would be the ones you would bid on on the main board. Well, now you put out an equal number of cards above the board. And what the new mechanic is, is you have your choice now between bidding in the normal way that we talked about, speaker Stadt, or you can simply take one of those four cards and put it at the bottom of the board and put your worker on it, your meeple on it. Okay? And you've reserved it now. Okay. And the cost is now it works the same way of progression as on the track except it's for the individual cards. So if I if I'm the only one that picks from those four and I put it down there and put my guy in there, it'll cost me one. And then the rest of the cards, you know, get tossed and we resolve the ones on the board the same way you do in the base game. However, what's going to generally happen is I pick the best card, right? Of course I pick the best card, right? Nobody else can steal this from me, not for any amount of money because I picked it. But what you can do is you can go, well, okay, I'll take this second best card, or maybe this best card for me. Now you place it second on the bottom of the row and put your guy on it. Well, mine costs two because there's two cards in the row now. You see where I'm going with this? Yours costs only one. Okay, so now the third player, or maybe it's me if it's two player, I go, well, okay, I'm going to take this other card, put that next in the row, put my guy on it. Now my first card costs three, yours costs two, mine costs one, and so on, right? So basically to where this could be, you know, the first one could be four, you know, in a, in a three-player game and so on. So, um, so kind of the same mechanic, but in a way that reserves you cards. So this is another nice way of going, okay, it's worth it to me. Do I, it, I really want the card. I'm going to have to pay for it. But I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to get it now. And, uh, and, and, I, and I know how high it could be bid up. Or more importantly... And I didn't talk a lot about this before, but there's a lot of, we'll call it mean play in this game too, which is something I know a lot of people aren't going to like. So in Speakerstadt, you 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 can bid on stuff just because I don't even want it, right? I just want to bid it up for you, and make it make it painful, right? Maybe maybe I've already decided I'm going to pass the whole round. I'm not going to win anything, so I get the extra money, but I'm just going to load up on something I know you want, just so it's ridiculously expensive, and you either pay dearly or you don't get it, right? So there's some right. some plays like that. Well, same thing here. Because of the reservation, I go, okay, I don't need this card, but I know you do. So I'm going to go and take it and put it first out. Uh, now, the, the second reason I do that, which is a little more useful to me, is that means, by simple definition, the other cards are going to be cheaper. So uh, there's a little bit of betting going on where it's like, the one I really want, I don't quite want to take right away. Right, because I, I want to be able to put it out later in the line where it's cheaper, but I risk somebody else taking it. Right, so I kind of have to look at what I think people want. Here again, why I think the two-player game is different. You know, I, I hesitate to say better, but with two players, it's just a lot easier to go. Okay, I 
because I'm only looking at one other player, I know better what you're looking for, what you're not looking for. And I can play that kind of bluffing game a little bit better with, okay, I don't think you're going to take it. I'll wait, put it out, make it cheaper, or I'm going to deny you this one and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's what's really cool. That's what makes the expansion for me. Just the new mechanic, a bunch of new cards. Uh, there's more firemen too, which helps kind of fix that out. Um, there's a couple more victory point scoring cards. You know, there's a, a harbor master that lets you change two goods for one. A coffee break that lets you pause uh, and 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 wait to see what happens, and then and then take your turn. You know, there's uh, a card that gives you points for firemen at the end of the game that doubles one of your firemen to help you you know catch up perhaps, uh, and and so on. There's just a lot of different additional cards that all kind of work uh, in an interesting way. So uh, I very much enjoy the expansion. So much so that wherever wherever I would have put the base game, uh, if if I were rating the two of them together, this definitely increases my opinion of the the series as a whole. It in, in all ways improves the game. It's not uh, not needless, and you know it might be a little rough if you've never played the base game to go ahead and throw this in right away. But I don't think it would take many play. I mean, if you played the base game even twice, you're probably ready for the expansion. Okay, so the last game that we're going to talk about is a game I haven't played, but I mention it because it's the next Feld game coming out, and then obviously, you know, despite some criticism that I've said on, on some of these games, basically overall I'm, I'm a real Feld fan, something I've reassured my own self on through playing, you know, 30 odd plus uh, uh, sessions of games of his. And again, even the ones that I don't like, like say Notre Dame and Macau, I, I still have respect for. So, so, uh, so yeah, I think I'm at a point where I'm pretty much going to blind buy any further Feld game. Uh, Rialto is, is the next one. It's a card driven board game. There's some limited information, but basically I'm just throwing it out there to talk a little bit about it. Well, so I mean, like just about any game, the goal of the game is to earn the most victory points, and you get that for various things. Uh, the board itself has six districts of Venice, and you place console members into those, and you know, building bridges and placing gondolas to connect the districts with one another, and, and so on. So there's six rounds in the game, each round consisting of three phases, which are uh, there's where you take a set of cards and you play your cards. And then you take advantage of their buildings and user powers. You know, you get points during the game and at the end of it, you get some victory points for special buildings, for building the bridges again between the districts. And uh, there's an evolution in the game where uh, each district is adjusted to four other ones. And at the end of the game, they will be connected either via bridges or condolas, and that increases the values and such. So... It's important to establish majorities in the districts, but also crucial to control their value by cleverly placing those bridges and gondolas. And, and every word of what I just said is, is um, stolen from Board Game Geek. So <laughs> please go there for uh, this information and more. But again, I kind of just share it here as uh, the next Feld game and one that I'm very much interested in acquiring from Pegasus Spiel. So. Okay. Awesome. So that was uh, the 10 of 10. And so now what I'll do is I'll run through and I'll just rank them in order. I'll assign a BGG value, and uh, here's that. 
beginning with Notre Dame, 2007, Alea Rio Grande Games, a game for many but a little too dry for me, a rating then of 4.5. Moving on to Macau from 2009, Alea Rio Grande Games, a rating of 6.0, a real work of board game art but a bit too painful for regular enjoyment from me. A 7.0 for the very good but not great Luna 2010 Z-Man Games. A 7.75 for the very satisfying twist on blind bidding with spatial elements called Strasbourg 2011 Pegasus Spiel. An 8.0 for the Mancala based Trajan 2011 Eminent Spiel and, well, several others. 8.25 for what might be my favorite bidding game, Spikerstock, 2010, Z-Man Games. A 9.0 for a personal favorite I don't think will ever leave my collection, In the Year of the Dragon, 2007, Alea, Rio Grande Games. A 9.25 for possibly the least lazy expansion in recent history, Kai Spiker, 2012. Eagard Spiel, Pegasus Spiel. And a 9.5 for my personal favorite Feld game, Castles of Burgundy, 2011, from Alea Ravensburger. So there it is. No games I hate, all games that I respect, more than half that I love. Congrats to Mr. Feld. Okay, moving on to what we've been playing. Uh, there's, It's been a pretty busy week for me, so I've just been doing some basic fillers with the family, uh, particularly with, with my uh, four-year-old son. Uh, we've been playing a whole bunch of new Mary. Yeah, <laughs> that's starting to grow on me, especially uh, my son is started, be starting to become a very poor sport when it comes to losing. <laughs> So that is something that has to be addressed. I'm not quite sure if New Mary needs to take a hiatus or we just need to figure out some way to address that. But uh, I've Good also luck. played, yeah, I've also played some Finito, which is kind of like uh, an interesting play on bingo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you've talked about that one before. Yeah, too. very very fun game. Then my wife came home with the Angry Birds game. Oh no. Did, I know about this one. Yeah, because it, uh, it, it's uh, so flawed. It's so flawed because you're you're throwing the birds the wrong way, like like in the in yes. the actual game you're kind of because uh, you're doing you it sideways. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And and here you're throwing it at you know directly at things, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's just not right. But no, I, right. I actually I don't I don't know anything beyond that. Is is it any fun to play? Does your son like yeah. it? I was really surprised by this game in a number of different ways. Number one, I was surprised to see that they brought it home. Actually, my son picked it out. Oh, of course, because it's got birds. And... Yeah, and and he's played the actual game on uh, my wife's tablet. So he 
naturally went straight for it. And uh, there's uh, some interesting stuff to it. Number one, or let me backtrack. How this game works is that there's four stacks of cards. Uh, one, two, one, two, three, and there is another one, which I forgot what it is. But basically, one is the easiest, two is like mid-level, three is the hardest. So the person whose turn it is, they pick a card and they give it to the other person. The other person then takes the pieces and they build the, I don't know, stack of birds. Let's call it that. They build the uh, the contraption that the birds sit on top of, at which point then the person whose turn it is uses one or more birds and they try to knock everything down. You only score points if you knock down all the birds. There's a really big red bird and then this little bird that looks kind of like Bert from Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. It's got a little conehead kind of action going on. Uh, You use these and you try to knock everything down. The big guy causes a lot of damage. The little guy, he is tough. He's so light. He either goes flying. I mean... (laughs) We played like three games over the past week. So primarily I don't a, think, a dexterity game, right? Absolutely. I, I don't think anybody's hit anything with the little dude. Hmm. But the, the game's interesting. It's a little bit of a challenge to build the um, uh, the structures because everything is so light and it wants to right. kind of fall yeah, down. Yeah, I'd heard that. And... The other piece, and this is something I guess uh, a lot of people bring up too, is that you hit them from the wrong side, right? Right. Yeah. And you hit it face on as opposed to from the side. Like it's wrong. It's wrong. (laughs) Well, it's equally. It would be near impossible probably to hit it (laughs) from Uh, the side. Yeah, I mean it's it's and it's hard enough to hit it from the front. Ish game, so yeah, you got to make it easy. Yeah, my wife and I went. We played probably six to eight rounds of this. She was the only one that scored any points. Usually, you hit something with the big bird and the little bird. I mean, you may as well not even do anything with it. You may as well just call it quits after the big bird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was interesting. Okay. Anything else uh, you played? for the kids. Then uh, also had a, a game of Colorado and Dragonheart. Oh, always good so, ones. Yeah. yeah, good old standbys. Okay. And that was it. How about you, Jeff? I did get a couple plays of Feld games in this week again, including Kai Spiker and Luna, both with three. So okay. I think I'm, eh, well, now some of these games I like. Well, I'm going to try to not play any more Feld games for a while. So I was going to say I won't play any for a long while, but eh, some of them I really like, so I will. Yeah, time to move on to other designers a little bit. Yeah, we'll have to pick, we'll have to pick something else to focus on. Uh, I don't know. We'll think about it. Uh, but then after that, uh, on that particular evening, I did play another game called Take a Hike, which, uh, eh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, of a lot of these smaller card games, but it's uh, it was okay, other than the theming wasn't really for me. I mean, it's you know, you're trying to put a backpack together, and you've got compass and walking sticks and water bottles and such, and, you know, you take a hike, and, you know, drawing random cards to see if uh, if they match or don't match, and then you're ultimately taking cards and putting them under your stack, and it's, it's that kind of mechanic and such. So I th- it, wasn't, it wasn't awful. I mean, it is what it is, right? I, mean, I don't think it claims to be 
much more than than that. But I, you know, I think maybe because of the theming, it just really seemed more like a kids' game to me, and there wasn't wasn't that much in the way of depth or interest. It seemed fairly random, and I did poorly, and I know I I know I didn't play well, but that aside, I I didn't see a lot there for me. So. Um, okay. But it's not like, again, if for the type of person that likes that kind of game, as long as you like can get past the theme, it doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. I mean, it's it's par for the course for that style of game, I guess. So uh, another another game I got played, uh, really disappointed to, to say this, too. I'm going to be mean here. <laughs> Just talked about it on last last show okay. in the Game Less segment. I was really encouraged, uh, really excited about uh, Access and Allies Angels 20. Oh, did I hate this game? I just hate. It's so been so long since I could genuinely say I hated a game. Uh, Such a strong word. Oh, I hate this game. I hate it for me. You know, it's great for. I'm, I've already heard. Well, of course, I've heard good things from other people, but it, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I've, I played plain games back when. You know, obviously, more complex stuff. Yeah, Avalon Hill stuff, Flight Leader, Knights of the Air, Blue Max. I don't know. You know, it's just like endless plain games. Um, I was never the biggest fan, and I, I really should know better because, yeah, I mean, as far as the military stuff goes, it's less interesting to me, the maneuvering and and such. But this one, it just didn't make any sense because you, everybody moves their planes first and then you fire, and so, and and we and we kind of go back and forth, and actually, it's even weirder and more complex than that. But it, let's say I move one, then. You know, now I'm behind. You know, now you just move that one out of the way, and then another one moves, and then when we're all done, we fire one at a time. And I just, it, it just didn't. The the whole hex overlay and the and the way that that all worked, I just did not like at all. It just didn't work for me. It didn't feel realistic. The I didn't like the tactics. The where you roll for initiative. I, I really didn't like anything. I didn't like combat. I didn't like. Uh, you know, movement. I didn't like the special abilities. I, I mean, the only thing I like about the game is the planes are really cool. I don't even like the stands. You you do the altitude by turning the plane on the stand and pointing it to the right number. So that's enough about that game. I mean, you know, it is what it is for me. If you're if you're at all interested in it, I would say go get Access and Allies War at Sea first. A, a game that I, I think this has a similar enough system, but really works at the naval layer and. Uh, um, there's some other mechanics I would talk about if I were talking about that game, and one day I will on a, on a show. But um, but simple answer is if if you're looking for an Axis Nollies miniature game, collectible one, get War at Sea. If you're looking for a plane game, then I'm going to go back and I'm going to come back and and uh, say something better about Wings of War than I had said the last show. I knocked it real quick. Well, again, still not for me, but wow, do I have so much increased respect for Wings of War now that I've played this. So in that one, you have the little altitude pegs. That's kind of neat for recording the height. The uh, the fact that you pre-plot the moves has an added element of realism. I, I still don't like the clunky way that you place the cards, and you know things kind of can get knocked a little too easily, or the way that the cards are played next to one another. I mean, it's just really difficult if you're not playing. I mean, you either have to not take it too seriously, or you end up arguing over it with the more tournament players and um, that was the thing I, you know for me I just it wasn't what I wanted it to be but ultimately it's far better simulation far more interesting of a game and if I had to play one of the two I would absolutely play Wings of War so still have a lot of hope for what Star Wars from uh, FFG will turn out to be but 
yeah, maybe flight games just aren't for me. So, uh, and then the last one, the last one I want to mention real quick, and I'll, again, I'll talk about this one more later because mm, I was kind of surprised by it. I went back and got a play of Twilight Struggle in, and it's been, okay. uh, you know, I mean, I don't even know how old the game is. I thought it was really old. Well, okay. In Euro modern terms, it's it's pretty old. Not like Avalon Hill old, but I just wow, I I just for, had forgotten how cool a game it is. So and it, you know it's now sitting at number one on BGG. Uh, yeah. I don't pay a lot of attention to that, but it's um I I think I think it's not really a war game at all, and I think a lot of Euro gamers would quite like it. So I um I'm gonna play it more. I'm gonna play it uh, a little bit more. Um, you know, my wife has interest in that type of game, and uh, I actually have never played Labyrinth or 1989, both which are kind of derivative games. And I'm actually um, pretty seriously going to go acquire both of those now and see yeah. if uh, if I like them just as much. So I just uh, was a little surprised by that because, you know, I mean, sometimes you go back to stuff and especially the older games and, you know, so much newer, better stuff has been derived from it or improved upon it or whatever. And anyway, yeah, it's, uh, worth checking out. So that was the last one I got played. Twilight Struggle came out in 2005. So it's seven years old. And I have the deluxe edition, which happens to have a beautiful map and beautiful components and cards and such. So, you know, that helps some. And the original artwork was kind of weird and the new, I really do prefer the new map. So they're working on a PC game. Which is great. I mean, I knew about it. I was kind of like, I don't know. I'm like, of course, now I'm really interested to get it because yeah. uh, I'm kind of back on the, you know, wanting to play more of that that style of game. So, uh, so that's cool. That was very fun for me to to just really enjoy uh, awesome. an older game like that. So, that kind of maybe proves one thing that I've always really thought would happen, where if you don't like a game, you can give it some time. And you play all these other games that kind of open up a whole new world for you. So if you go back to that original game, you might like it then. Sure. I'm saying it's like you open up new doors, new experiences, trying these games, which can make a game that you might not have liked. But it's, you know, I think a lot of people feel like it's maybe this intro war game, you know, because it's got the GMT name on it and everything. And it's, of course, it's about, you know, the Cold War and, and, so on and it's but, long yeah and it, it does play a little bit longer but it is it's also a two-player only so it's more of that classic me against you kind of thing but well i mean it's it doesn't play at all like any war game ever it's just, in no way is it a war game but it is very 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 thematic and i typically would say i almost like less theme in the game because you know i i don't you know, if I, I'll read a book about the real events. I don't necessarily want to read a bunch of text on a card and about this or that. But yet, the way that it's implemented here, it just doesn't feel like... Like, you could have almost no interest in history, and you would still feel the theme and, I think, enjoy the theme of the game. You know, you're fighting over... You know, you choose to fight over, uh, you know, this you know, little spot of uh, South America, and it means something in the game, right? And because of, not even even necessarily because of the cards, but maybe especially because of them. But, you know, just the way that you go back and forth, uh, you know, you talk about cube pushers and such. Well, this, in a way, is almost 
I don't want to say the same thing because that, that's an insult to the game, but <laughs> it the, you place what's called influence, and the way that you kind of go back and forth with some of that is a little bit like maybe pushing cubes around, but there's so many more interesting ways to manipulate that, whether it's card play or just uh, outright uh, actions that you can take, or there's there's you know coups that you can make, or uh, you can use the influence you have in surrounding areas and, and kind of location on the board to help win and uh, reallocate in that area and, and so on. You know, just, it's uh, just really, really well done. I, I wish I've had not spent so much time with it sitting on the shelf. And, and there's other games that fall in that category for me where like, for instance, conflict of heroes. I mean, another game that I really, really love at the, at, now that one is a war game. I, I just don't know why I haven't, played it more <laughs> but I, I really haven't since it originally came out and I um, I should so so it's a good reminder of that that you know there are older games that yeah. you know there's you don't always have to get the newest stuff and and be called to the new there's some old stuff that's really worth playing absolutely um, and replaying so uh, so maybe I'll do a little bit of that go back and, and play some of those again so anyway that's enough on that Okay, let's move on to Game Lust. Jeff, you want to start off? Yeah, so I got uh, I got two for this week. One one that I'm lusting after and one that I've lusted after but acquired. <laughs> so the one that I'm lusting after is because I got the pre-order notice for Small World Realms. And uh, this is, this is we were talking about older games that don't, haven't played in a while. Well, yeah. this is one. I've played a ton of Small World. You know, a lot of people have. And I have all, I well... That's not true. I never did actually acquire Underground, and I guess because I realized I'd got to a point where I wasn't really playing it so much anymore. Right. And it's not one my wife cares for as much. It kind of does feel a little wargamey for her and maybe mean-spirited. But but like you said, going back to this, maybe if we've played enough other games since, that was a little earlier on, maybe if we go back to it now, she's ready for it. I don't know. Um, but uh, where Underworld wasn't maybe a, an interesting enough change for me, the small world realms, I just really dig the whole building a map thing. I've always liked that in, in games. And um, some of the other things that they've done, just it's interesting. And so I think this is definitely one that's um, going to revitalize it for me. So I'll, I'll acquire it, and maybe I'll uh, actually start championing it again, start trying to get it played some more. Um, also, I have the iPad game, so you know, yeah, that, hurts, with, that hurts me too. With realms... It doesn't come with a regular board, right? It comes with pieces that you build yeah, out the board, kind of module. like H night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and so that's really—it's just a twist on it, but I think it's a really interesting, good twist because that—that uh, I think would really change some things up. Uh, so yeah, so I just really—I uh, might even—I don't know—I might even pre-order from them just because I want it that much. But uh, so then the other game I got is uh, the second time. I've acqu- at least 
that I can think of without going through every game I own. Um, it's the second time in recent times, anyway, that I've rebought an old game because of a new edition, and that is Game of Thrones. Now, uh, to be fair, I didn't really get rid of the first edition because I didn't like it. I kind of got rid of it because I'm not the biggest fan of diplomacy-like games anymore. I played a lot of diplomacy back when, and you know Dune and some other ones that have some elements of that. But if maybe it is because of Rex, where you know I enjoyed Rex enough, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, there's something to be said for that mechanic in a game and the and the social interaction and all of that. And Game of Thrones, where diplomacy is just this sort of I don't want to say perfect game, but this there's a certain exactness to everything that you do in the game, and uh, it, well, and, and in that same way, more themeless, even if it does a better job at simulating or whatever. But uh, Game of Thrones, you know, has that really strong theme with the property at the time. I hadn't read the books, you know, the HBO series wasn't out, and it was really hard to kind of find people to play it. You know, there wasn't as much interest in it, and so now it's. By comparison, it's probably pretty easy to find people to play it. And with this whole new edition, uh, you know, the components look to be really well, you know, improved to an extent. For me, anyway, I kind of like what they did with it. Um, I haven't even so much as broke the shrink open, but uh, I'm really encouraged to give it another try. And I think it'll, it'll stand out in my collection because, again, I don't don't really have any other diplomacy-like games. Uh, but yet there's other stuff that goes on in this one. So, um, anyway. So I'm lusting at the idea of playing it, getting it played to the table. So hopefully I'll like it, if not love it. Uh, I am enjoying the, the HBO series still and uh, and such. So uh, And then, you know, like one that did work for me, uh, Battles of Westeros, real quick, um, which is a, a take on Command and Colors where Fantasy Flight went and sort of redid the things they thought were wrong with the system and tried to improve it. And I, I thought as a, as a battle lore person, I actually... I, do enjoy Battles of Westeros more, and despite at the time not really being into the Westeros Game of Thrones theme, uh, I didn't think it was necessary to enjoy that game. I do think, of course, it's necessary for Game of Thrones, or at least very much helps to be into the into the series, into the books uh, for the theme. So, um, yeah. So, what, what about you? What have you been lusting after, Rob? Okay, uh, one game that I mentioned last time was St. Malo. Looks like that one got delayed. So yeah. I'm going to be lusting after that ooh, one for ooh. a while longer. And I just committed to, to order that myself, unfortunately. So. Yeah, so they pushed it out till September, so who knows when we can get it. May, hopefully sometime by the end of the year. Another game I've kind of had my eye on for a while now is Village. I got that one ordered. The other day, so hopefully I'll get my hands on it when I get back home. And then also, you kind of reminded me of this one is uh, I've really been looking forward to 1989, Dawn of Freedom. Yeah, I should have. I don't know why I didn't plunge on that one, but now I got to I got to tack it on when it's available to to an order. Uh, so, yep. Yeah, because that one falls under the P500, right? Yeah, I, th- I don't think it's quite available outside of the P500 right now. Right. And I didn't, I hadn't uh, ordered it. Uh, I had, it wasn't wasn't one of the ones I had committed to. So, oddly, I had, I had, I think I might have P500 Labyrinth, or at least thought to, and then it kind of fell off my radar, and I just kind of forgot about the game. 
So yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and get grab both of them. But I mean, from what little I've seen or heard, it still seems like Twilight Struggle is the the one of choice. Um, Labyrinth can you can play it solo, so that could be an interesting reason to acquire that one instead. Right. 1989, I think it's really more for fans of Twilight Struggle. I think. Yeah, well, because the theme is going to appeal a little less, I think, universally than the theme of Twilight Struggle. But, yeah, I mean, again, I haven't played it. I only know what I've read. And there's some people that have said that it's uh, going to be hard-pressed just to say the differences. But, you know, I don't, I, it wasn't any faster, really, type of thing. All right. Um, but, you know, I don't. who knows? I mean, certainly maybe it's more polished in uh or modernized in some way or different i know know it had some unique things to it so um and it's not a part in history that i'm intimately familiar with the details of so maybe i actually will learn some more about it in the process or even be motivated to uh to read up on it yeah i believe uh that's a wrap for episode number 11 absolutely all right check out our website thisboardgamelife.com we also have our email address contact at thisboardgamelife.com where you can send us comments, questions and also if you do a recording of yourself, mp3 format send that over, you can hear yourself on the show. Yeah, you can also call our voicemail at 754-444-TBGL which is 754-444-8245 this would be another great way to hear yourself on the show so uh, please consider doing that also, check out our BGG Guild and uh, hit the join button and then followed by subscribe. Uh, or at least join it so we can see who listens to us, what games you have, what you think about them and such. Uh, always curious to, to know more about our listeners as well. Also, coming up next time, we'll uh, be discussing Ground Floor, which we've uh, mentioned a couple times. Uh, thoughts on that? And also, uh, perhaps, uh, our, count, our contest announcements uh, should our prizes actually show up, which we believe they will. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff. And I'm Rob. <laughs> Catch y'all later.